0: Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Are you a brewhead? I'm a brewhead. Y'all a brewheads. Yeah, we brewheads. So pour a glass of craft beer, we can do this. Yeah. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 51 of Beer Knowledge Podcast Adjunct Series Quarantine Edition. This evening, we are taking you guys back to Ottawa once again. This gentleman also was. On back in 2017 alongside Dominion City that you guys may have heard last episode. And, uh, you know, it was much overdue. It kind of just worked out this way that we had them back-to-back, but couldn't be happier to have the gentleman back. We have also guest co-hosting this evening, Noah Forrest from Beerism, who hasn't been in for a little bit. And uh, we have Matt Tweedy from Tooth & Nail Brewery. There he is. Welcome, boys. Great to see your faces. You too. Do I just realize, Matt, you don't have a beard. What's up with that?
1: No, what's up with that? So (laughs) this is a good question. It's really funny because uh, one of the first interviews I think I ever did for Tooth and Nail when we opened, somebody said, well, what makes you different than, you know, other breweries? I said, well, I don't have a beard. (laughs) Um, you know, COVID, COVID definitely presented a pretty, pretty terrible looking beard for a while. Um. But to be honest with you, I think uh, at this point right now, I'm just trying to shake the last year, look forward, present myself well, you know, work on a bunch of different leadership ideas, and and try to kind of present myself a little bit more tight and better and and polished. So we'll
2: see how long
0: that lasts. <laughs> I like it. It does. Keep, it does make a difference. It's just yeah. like I didn't notice it until I'm just staring at the screen, and normally, like when we've joked about it before unintentionally, I'm looking at you know, two, three other beaded white guys, typically the glasses. And uh, I was like, oh, geez, that doesn't have a
3: beard. Like, I couldn't None of even... us can see properly for some
0: reason. <laughs> None of us can <laughs> see. I guess it's the beard. It ruins your eyesight. I just
1: feel like it's, uh, I, I like it. It's, it's, uh... Oh, I don't know, dude. I just had an eye doctor test yesterday and like, Uh, You know, we're not going to start talking about age and where we're at here, but like I'm moving into progressive lenses. So, if you want (laughs) to talk about glasses, man, like this is uh, this uh, this is a very difficult and challenging time in my life. Have you considered LASIK by any chance? I asked him about it yesterday. I've got uh, pretty bad astigmatism in one eye. He's not too sure that I'm, I'm I can qualify, but we'll see. We'll see so to
0: once again not to go into it i also have an astigmatism i got lasik by the doctor who invented the astigmatism machine in 2006 i want to say and three years later i had to wear glasses again they told me i'd be in my mid 40s and then three years later, right but i went from like minus five to like it was like 0.25 like super low and even oh, wow. now I'm at, I'm at like 0.1 i'm at minus one so like maybe one and a half so it's not bad but it was worth right. it for those three years. Of, is the weirdest feeling, it is, it's a very strange thing when you know that someone's cutting the cornea or whatever it is open and then sticking a the laser in. Um, super. Yeah, weird my thing. wife
1: Dana just had it done. But she did it.
0: How was it for her?
1: Oh yeah, she she swears by it. She loves it. It's the greatest thing she's ever decided to do. She says
0: it was just that. Moment. I mean, aside
1: from marry me, right? <laughs> I,
0: saw, I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. <I'm gonna> drink. <laughs> <laughs> Come on man. It was just like when you when you finish and you sit up and you're like, oh shit, I can see. It was it's just the trippiest feeling It's, it's very, very strange. Uh, I'm sure people don't give a fuck too much about that. So let's get into beers. You already cracked yours, Matt. Uh, we are going to be drinking the Lupo Solitario with Diamond. Diamond? How do you say it? Diamond. Diamant, pups, and uh, as far, far as I'm it's aware. It's far. Well, I trust you. Mr. Forest.
3: I I'm going to start off with a nice light uh, 10% Imperial Stoad here, <laughs> which I is part it. of That's how you um, roll. Tooth & Nails uh, Black is Beautiful beer, um, which I'm sure we'll probably get into a little later.
0: Oh, yes. we would Discussion-wise. Very, very happy that you guys have And I've that. had
3: this one before. I got two cans from my lovely father-in-law who grabbed them for me.
0: What a champion. Mid-pandemic. Um you want to yeah. tell us maybe uh, about Great. the beers themselves that we're drinking now, Matt? The uh, maybe start with the Keller since uh a little a little on the light side. Tell us about this one.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, you know, for years we were doing our our single hop pale ale series a pretty fun thing to do when you've got a brew pub, right? And you can circle through these different beers. And for us, um, I mean, the single hop series personally has just been a, a wicked experience because you can you can thoroughly understand the depth of bitterness flavor aroma of a certain hop and and you know how that bitterness uh comes across from a quality perspective you know not not all hops are cut the same so just because you've got a hop at five alpha acid and another at five alpha acid the bitterness from those hops can come through very different so it's been a wicked education and Many of the hops in the pale ale series ended up in in many of our beers because we just liked them so much. And many of them, you know, kind of got kicked to the curb because we didn't like them so much. But I always really wanted to do it with a lager and especially with, you know, a Pilsner. And, you know, when I had, um, when I had Lupolo by Oxbow in, in Maine, um, it really kind of set the idea for this, you know, Italian style Pilsner, as people are calling them. Um, but just something with a bit of dry hopping and unfiltered young version of a pilsner, because if you lager it too long, those hops might become somewhat too refined in some ways that you may not actually get what you're looking for out of them if you're trying to learn them in and out. So anyways, we started the Lupo Solitario series, uh, probably about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I can't remember. And, um, and yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 beer itself, just through practicing the recipe, gets better. And now we get to, you know, explore these new hops. We just did uh, two of them with the help of uh, BSG Canada. Um, the first one being a brand new German hop, Orem. Okay. And then this being the other brand new German hop, Diamant. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And I'm super thrilled with this one. I mean, the Orem was really nice. I'm not... It's funny because sometimes I, I, I try things that I'm not always the hugest fan of. And one of those things is I, I don't, I don't particularly like a lot of the character you get from a dry hopped Pilsner. Um, however, with this one, I'm not getting any of the character I don't like. I'm really just getting all of the aromas I do like. And okay. uh, a lot of what I don't like from those dry hop beers is um, and maybe it has to do with the, with the cool fermentation and, and the temperature of dry hopping and all of these things. I mean, we've kind of got the the process honed in, but, um, I often just get a real kind of chlorophyll, fresh cut grass kind of thing from dry hopping pilsners. And, you know, we've dry hopped them and vigor before and, and it, like, I hope to never do it again. Um, <laughs> Was that it just kind of, what's that?
0: Was that the fifth anniversary version?
1: No, that one was dry hop with saws. And okay. saws actually saws actually works out really quite well on a dry hop, I find. I, I never really I never really worry about that one.
2: Okay.
1: Just some of the other hops, just a little maybe a little too green. And if you can get that amount of oil secured into the wort before fermentation, um, you know, then then you run into this situation where that fermentation helps to promote those hop flavors and things like that. So we stopped dry hopping Vim and Vigor in the first year. Um, and I much prefer it the way it is now, but I don't know. There's something about this that I really, really enjoy. I don't get a grassiness. I get hops. Like I get hop oils jumping out there. Yeah.
0: I'm you know, This grassy. is very much yeah, me. Like really... a... Go on, no.
3: Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I was just gonna say, like, I've had a, a few versions, not the one you're drinking right now. And uh, as much as it seems that you do get a, a hop character for sure, and when you're drinking it, you 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 quickly realize you're not drinking a traditional pilsner or or a lager or, uh, or or like a lager that's that you're used to. There's there's something different about it, but it like you said, it doesn't give you that like punch in the same way as a lot of these dry hop. Loggers have and the fruitiness I found a little bit more restrained and just everything was in balance. Um, I I remember being really 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 enjoying them when I when I had them. They're excellent. I mean that's something yeah, that you do. you seem to have uh, put a lot of effort into is is mastering clean clean beers and uh, even your pale ales and stuff like that. There's a certain roundness to them and just making something that a lot of people think is simple tastes simple when it's actually one of the harder things to do. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why I've always enjoyed what you guys do uh, tremendously. Yeah. Thank you.
1: I mean, it's so funny to hear that sometimes. And and I appreciate, you know, I take that as a great compliment because I'm, I'm pretty hell bent on that being the way that I brew, but um, without, um you know, discussing other brewers and other approaches, I don't really understand in my brain, how could there be another approach? I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, a beer should be very clean. It should be very well fermented. It should have a balance of flavors that gives it immense drinkability. And yet we get to play with flavors that are really quite big. And so you should be able to extract those flavors and create something of complexity and, and enjoyment and, and all of these things. But to me, the, the balance and cleanliness, I mean, that's everything. And, and it's what yeah. I search for when I'm out purchasing beers and trying new beers. And, you know, when you get to the point where you've been brewing long enough, you, you kind of get this curse where you've kind of tasted every off flavor out there and you can't you can't unlearn that at that point. So even when you get some really expressive and really fantastic beers – can be in a position where the second you taste that one little flaw it's like well shit I don't like this anymore (laughs) it's (laughs) terrible
3: (laughs) yeah it like ruins the entire experience once you once you it's like you find it and you're like oh I can't unfind this now
1: that's it yeah and I try not to I try not to sweat that stuff too much I mean I've definitely got some peers that can really dissect a glass of beer and I think shit, just drink the thing, you know, like it's like we're here to enjoy ourselves <laughs> too. But it's, it's, there's a fine balance there that is tricky to, to step away from, you know, when that's really what your ultimate job is. So
0: what I want to ask briefly, just, I actually really don't know what is specifically a keller pills as opposed to a keller beer or a, straight up and down.
1: well, I mean, the term keller is German for cellar. And so you're looking at an unfiltered product. The idea is that it is a product drawn directly from the tank in the cellar.
2: Okay.
1: Now we, you know, they've gone on to since be packaged. You might um, have heard of Zwickle beer, yes. same idea. Zwickle is actually your, your sample port. That's what it's called. Okay. Um, and so the difference between something like this and Vim and Vigor is we'll release this after four weeks. So it really does not spend a lot of time lagering. We try, you know, you may pick up some really light sulfur in it, and that real kind of fresh, uplifting um, character coming off the nose, and um, and the unfiltered aspect as well. Um, just really trying to serve it as fresh and as young as possible, so that those hop expressions are are at their kind of peak before that lagering starts to really refine it and uh, and squash it down a little bit
0: love it that makes sense cool thank you for
3: breaking it um Go quick on. question yeah. like if so obviously beers that are or let's just say lagers in general um and and slight variations of lagers ha, are a beer style that you know took over the world and um have always been popular and probably always will be popular um but within the the kind of beer geek craft beer scene um, there, there was a lot of pushback against that style at the beginning, like people didn't, it, it was like your dad's beer or whatever, it was the beer that no one wanted anymore, because it's like that's all that beer was, right, and bad versions of that beer, etc. Um, and so like the rise of the IPA, and then that shifted, you know, the the IBU wars or whatever, and now we're in the haze, and then now we're with the smoothies and the, the pastry stouts and all the crazy shit, but... Very recently, in the last year, particularly, I'd say in like Montreal, maybe Ottawa, I don't know. Um, although probably a little bit longer in the states, the lager has kind of had a uh, is, is having a quiet comeback, um, and I don't even know how quiet it is because it's it's even like breweries that are concentrating entirely on haze and crazy adjunct, you know, leaden stouts and stuff are now brewing uh, a Hellas or uh, a pilsner on tap, right? Whereas in before that would never happen. So I'm just curious since you've been kind of always doing that from the beginning amongst other things, obviously have you noticed like a desire in your patrons or your orders or whatever for loggers again, or has it been pretty consistent throughout your, you know, you've, you're what, like five, six years old now at this point. Yeah.
1: um, Yeah. Just five and a half, I guess. I mean, interestingly enough, like, you know, what we sell, uh, to licensees or out of the store tends to be a little bit different from in the bar. Um, you know, Vim and Vigor was never really intended to be, uh, you know, a a, a quote unquote flagship type thing. Um, I had a true passion for, for Pilsners, especially, but, but also, you know, general, a lot of different bloggers in general. And I think that at the end of the day, that style of beer is, is the, the real, it's the real true brewer's beer. Um, because yeah. as you kind of just went through the cycle of it all, right? Like you, you get into craft beer because, you know, there's a flavor there that you, you quite can't put your, your, your finger on. Right. So you have a Sierra Nevada, Nevada pale ale, right. Which to me is one of the holy grails. Yeah. And it's just like the first time you have that after you've been drinking, like, well, you know, wildcat in my case, growing up, um, exactly. You're like, wow, that's bitter, man. You know? And then you get used to that. You're like, well, what's more bitter and what's more hobby. And then, and then you start going through your IPA phase, which never dies, <laughs> thankfully in yeah. some ways. And, <laughs> and, you know, I think we've taken it to an insane place at this point, but, um, you, then you're into IPAs, and then you're into double IPAs. And when you get into double IPAs, you try barley wine. You're like, holy shit, I love that barley wine. And then you get into bourbon barrel-aged stouts. Now you're drinking 14%, 15% beers that blow your mind. And then you try a sour, and you're like, well, forget it. I'm going to switch over to this side. And then you have the sour. And then you get into the pastry steps, so You get into all these things. And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I kind of just wish or miss. I kind of just miss sitting down and like, you know, drinking six cans of beer on a friday night with a friend and not like you know having to recall the tales from the night before the next day and so there's something about those simple five percent beers that you get back to and then you start to kind of develop this appreciation for a lot of the nuance and the stuff Mm -hmm. that is not blowing your palate out of the water and i think that this this quote unquote resurgence of loggers, or maybe it's a new surgence, um, is probably directly related to that. And I think a lot of the public that is starting to get on board with them, you know, there's there's always the element of the cool factor with the beer geek crowd and, and the brewers crowd and, and the people who really take craft beer seriously. Um, so if it falls into the cool category, you're going to get more people involved. But I also just think that people are are genuinely coming back to some more drinkable Versions of styles they love um as far as we've seen the uptick in the bar i mean vim and vigor was kind of a slow start but it got it got a lot of attention in the first two yep. months that we were open and that attention kind of had us selling probably more outside the place than inside um but now it's a bit of a beast i would say yeah um so You know, we definitely produce a a lot more volume of that beer than anything else. And when I say it was not really set out to be a flagship, I mean, you know, I could produce twice the amount of beer in a year if I didn't produce this damn beer. But I love it. So,
3: yeah, I was going to say that must be challenging because of the lagging process and, and the time it takes and like stuck in a. In something that you could be brewing another IPA with or whatever, and then you can't like overcharge sure. for it either because people aren't gonna spend a ton of money on a pilsner. I mean, some people would, but like, I understand you probably. Well, don't Well, I mean, wanna, it's really funny you brought that up
1: either. because when we first opened, you know, Vim and Vigor was our most expensive beer hmm. uh, coming out of the store, and people people question it. They go, "Well, this is just a stupid lager. Why is it so expensive?" And I'm like, "Well." We don't brew enough of it yet, so i got to spend, you know, whatever, $800 on a yeast pitch per batch. You know, uh, the hops are actually, there's a ton of hops in this beer because the bitterness levels, the alpha acids in the hops themselves are so low. So that's an added expense, plus sitting in the tank twice as long as anything else. So realistically, I should be charging even more, but I can't you know, because exactly. nobody would ever even buy it. But it, it was just interesting mm-hmm. that, yeah, we, I was like, well, it's just the most expensive beer we make, so there you go. Um,
0: how did, how did yeah. that one get so popular? Like, I, I was looking back. I was telling you over email that we were doing the clips. Like, uh, Dan, who works for us. He was making the clips from our old episodes to, to start reviewing it. And he was doing uh, Girls in Dominion City the other day. And we were reviewing wow. it. So, I hadn't seen it. I didn't watch the podcast back ever. So, I was looking at it and I was, you drank Vimaviga, Scott had something else, and I had like the single hop uh, IPA or oh. something like that, or Pale Ale, I think. And I was like, God, why did That's I get right. Vimaviga, man? Because I didn't give a shit about pills back then. I, all I cared about was haze because no. Oh, one no.
1: You guys there. thought I was right out of my mind.
0: Yeah. And now I'm, <laughs> I, I thought you were bunkers. It was awesome. Yeah. And I, I could oh, actually. Man, imagine I had so you,
1: much fun that day. <laughs> Dude, that, I still you, remember that day. It was great.
0: That was the night of the event. And the night before I met you accidentally with Sam at the, that baseball field event,
1: we were just chatting. Yeah, we him. met there. And then we, we ended up at the same After Hours Bar, too.
0: Yeah, we were it was at um,
1: 268 Upstairs. And then I was with Kyle from Happy Goat Coffee.
0: Yes, of course. Yeah, the home. And guy. then
1: he inter- he's like, this is the dude interviewing you tomorrow. And I was like, oh, hey, man. It was uh, a good.
0: I never think, I don't know what put you on blast, but you, after the CBA, is it actually after the event? So during the day, we probably were just being crazy people and asking you about haze. I think fucking these guys asking me about hazy beers. I
2: might have even said that.
0: (laughs) You (laughs) probably did, and you you were right to. I was looking back at these videos like, dude, shut up. What is your problem? Like, I get it. Haze, all right. (laughs) right, It's not that serious. But um, I remember at the night of the event, this is why I love the beer thing. Like, you know, obviously the. The Brewing Awards, there's buckets of beer at every single table, and um, you can just I'd go crazy. Then they had the big table up the back with beers from all over the country, like Four Winds and like all from BC stuff. It was just crazy. How you were, you were trash. It was awesome. I think I saw that video of it. It was really cool. <laughs> I remember he came, I was telling Janet, I was like, Matt's came would like, lifted his shirt up. He's like, him, that guy, he's talking all, like, real smart stuff. like, like yeah, he was a so wild man.
2: <laughs> it, was,
0: it was beautiful. But the point was, I was kicking myself for not drinking bigger because ever since, basically what Noel was saying, the, even a Hayes boy who I still you know, very much love that stuff and all the trendy, dumb things. Of course. I've come back to, and this is like, if I could drink nothing else, I would drink this all day, every day. Nothing else really matters to me. So I appreciate Vimovie on a, level I didn't at the time, um, to Noah's point of that change, like where, where did the, um, like the legend of that beer start? Like how did that sort of the growth of the obviously usually, it started highly and then got, you know, more and more sought after because, you know, as, as this got popping, yeah like already
1: there, right? This, I'm sure it's slot in, but I'd be curious if it's a story. You know, it was, it was, it was a lot of chance, um, we opened the brew pub on uh, Wednesday, September 16th in uh, 2015. Okay. And that Saturday, um, there was a Brew Donkey tour coming through. So, Brew Donkey is an Ottawa based company that, that hosts tours to different breweries on Saturdays and okay, Sundays right. and whenever. And it was our first one. Oh, you met Brad, of course, of yeah. course. And uh it was our first one since we had opened. I did some mm-hmm. kind of a weird, like, uh tour for people when we were under construction. Right. Um, and in that tour happened to be Jordan St. John, who was writing for the Ontario Craft Beer Guide. Mm-hmm. And he kind of left the tour a little bit. And I think he was really just using Brad's bus to get from brewery to brewery to save some money on on taxis and things like that. And he said, Oh, I'm going to go, you know, review your beers. And I'm sitting there going, man, like my first beers I've ever brewed on my own system here. Like, this is not, this is not ideal here. I didn't, you know, I didn't think it was a great plan. And then he called me over after reviewing them and uh, was, was extremely complimentary. and, at that time he was pretty into pilsners and you know he went back to toronto and told everybody about vim and vigor and so within two or three weeks of me opening you know i had certain people asking me the next time you come to toronto can you bring me some of this pilsner and uh and then you know it just it it just got into some people's hands that really dug it and they have you know some form of influence and uh some really talented writers and things like like that. And um yeah, it it was just a lot of just a lot of luck. And I mean the beer the the first batch of it was very good. So I was very happy about that. Um but I I also spent, you know, I went to brewing school and out of brewing school I got a job brewing lager for three years. And people say, well why would you want to work in a brewery like that? And I said, well, well first of all, um you take what job you get. And second of all, I remember when I was studying brewing, thinking if I can get a job learning how to brew clean lagers, then I can brew anything. Because the process and the meticulous nature with which you have to execute that process is very, very unforgiving. So, why wouldn't you want that unforgiving process to be applied to your IPAs and your stouts and your? you know, Belgian beers and and things like that. So I figured if I could kind of master that a little bit that, you know, I should be able to brew anything um, the way that I wanted it to. And so I did have experience brewing pilsner before I made my own. The brewmaster I worked for before, Phil DeFonso, taught me a great deal about what was important in a glass of beer. Uh, The things that you think about that the customer will never think about. Uh, It's kind of our job to sweat that stuff. And, um, you know, the, the Czech Pilsner I was brewing was really nice, but I was really, really kind of gung-ho on wanting to do my own very kind of Americanized German style where where we took the IBUs up a lot and we took the aroma and flavor hopping up a lot because I thought there was a lot of room to move there. And that's kind of how Vim and Vigor was born.
0: That's cool that that's how the widespread. Sorry, no,
2: no.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Were you going to say something, Noah?
3: Oh, wow. Uh, um... No, but I can. Okay, um, no, but like, there, I, I, I think as much as there's luck there, um, I think at the time, there weren't... I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think there were a lot of up-and-coming craft breweries that were doing a Pills. I don't
2: remember. Um, Nobody most,
3: was. No. Well, it yeah, cool. exactly. You, you would see like a blonde, lo- a blonde ale or something like that. And on the most part, most of them aren't even it was always like the brewers like, oh, okay, I'm just doing this to appease people who like blonde beer or something. Like, I feel like there wasn't a lot of love in those beers. Um, but you could tell with me the the there, there. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the first I have, time I um, tried your, no, go on. Go Sorry. Ahead. Sorry. I was the first beer I ever tried of yours was a, um, with, with, uh, my father-in-law passed it to me. I guess he went by your place and it was, a. Uh, Belgian double with, like, orange peel and spices or something. Um, oh, yeah, and raisins. And, you know, being... Yeah, exactly. And being from Quebec, I have had a lot of really good doubles, and I've had uh, the Trappist doubles. I've had I had it all. And, like, in my experience, you know, Quebec kind of is, is good at that, and obviously the Belgians are good at that. So, like, anything I've ever had coming out of Ontario has always been kind of mediocre, and I wasn't super excited by doubles at the time anymore, anyway. But then I had your beer, and it kind of blew my mind. I was like, "I need more from this brewery." And then that's when I got my hands on uh, Vim Vicker, and you had this Belgian session ale 2 that was, was phenomenal. And then a few other, yeah, stamina was so good, mm-hmm. and a few others, and it was just like, it was just kind of a breath of fresh air because as much as I loved at the time, you know, more aggressive beers um and not to say that yours aren't ever aggressive but there was a certain i don't know subtlety and balance and i guess it's just your approach right if you, if you train to to make you know a beer that you can't make a mistake on taste right then you're gonna apply that same logic to to your rest the rest of your portfolio whether it's uh, a coffee imperial stout or or a belgian beer or whatever and i, I I'm always it's always a pleasure to drink uh, anything that that you put out so uh, yeah. amazing. amazing, thank you. <laughs> I promise I'll stop complimenting you uh, for the rest. <laughs> oh, of the just
0: week. wait, as once these 10% beers mm-hmm. kick in, ooh, it's gonna get, <laughs> get, get messy. <laughs> um, I just want to acknowledge Nate, uh, shouts to Nate, who was supposed to be here tonight. So I hope you're feeling good, bro. He just said, yeah. Solitario was a fantastic series. First time I've ever seen a single hub calipers. So cheers to Nate. I just finished that, so I'm gonna cheer some water, get some water up here, Nate. Mm. So um let's talk about noah's beer since we talked about this beer the whole time um the black is beautiful honestly bro like there was only three breweries here in quebec that did it um and i think it was less than 30 in ontario it's a uh cause is super close to our you never met my girlfriend tiffany my girlfriend tiffany's uh, parents are from jamaica no we haven't met no you haven't met her she unfortunately wasn't there that weekend but um obviously for us it's super close to home um, it's something that's really important, and uh, Nate got me your one, and it was phenomenal. It was, it was definitely like one of the best I had um, because it was that big 10%, just a classic fire imperial stout. I'd love to just hear about the beer itself and also sort of what inspired you to get involved in that particular um, program. And what's not the word? What, what would you call sure. it? Uh, sure.
3: Cause. cause. Initiative. Exactly.
1: Initiative. That's a goddamn word. Yeah. Thank you yeah the beer itself I mean um it might actually it might actually make more sense to talk about getting into it and then talk about the beer because it kind of influenced the approach we took um, you know, the shit was hitting the fan uh in the u s and the shit was hitting the fan in a different way um you know where we live and and everywhere in the world, so here we are. Um, kind of starting to crawl a little bit out of our first lockdown. And, and, you know, the first part of that um, business was great. Um, People, you know, it was like the toilet paper syndrome. People thought that the world was going to run out of beer. So they bought it all up as fast (laughs) as they could. And, and that was pretty cool. And then, you know, and then um, our particular brewery, and we can get into this later on because it's not that integral of the story, but we were not really, our business model is usually pretty awesome, but it was not really all that well set up to deal with what happened in the last year. And so, you know, pandemic's stressful on everybody. It's really hard. We're very, very nervous business owners, right? I think any business owner at that time is very nervous because you don't know when this thing's going to end you don't know when you're going to be shut down and can't operate business. You know, if you, if you factor in a brewery, you know, you're not, you're not talking about a couple of pennies that are invested here. So it's, it's big, stressful. And, um, and then the shit happened with George Floyd and, you know, we didn't, like, we didn't know what to do. Um, Tooth and Nail has never taken to social media to talk about any awards we got we've never taken to social media to talk about any of the charities that we've we've given money to over the years and the programs that we've invested in those things it's just it's not really ever been a focus for us and so all of a sudden we started receiving personal messages going hey you know we're waiting to hear from you guys Mm. and i'm going what are you waiting to hear you know like i'm just I'm just like a brewer in, in Hindenburg in Ottawa. I was sitting in the back toiling away all day. Like what influence do I have? Like, why are you looking to me? And it was a really, really challenging time for us because it was the first time we ever kind of faced the fact that, you know, we're a business that people look at, you know, Mm. it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to come to terms with. And, you know, we sent out uh, a message to the public going, you know, thanks, thanks for bringing this up with us. We, you know, we don't really know what to say here other than, you know, we're a couple of suburban white people who have just kind of found themselves wondering what the hell is going on. And at that time, you know, Marcus had come out from Weathered Souls and and had started this initiative. And so we went ahead and and we made a bit of a statement and we were very much... um, looking at material reading things trying to understand what was going on from other people's perspectives trying to put it into perspective for ourselves and so this opportunity came along we said okay well here we're in the middle of a pandemic we don't have money to start throwing around here but here's an opportunity to raise some money and put it into something that you know we would like to support so we went ahead and brewed the beer and and for us i mean the beer itself was very important for us to not, I mean, when people think about tooth and nail at this point, they probably do think about a lot of the stuff that Noah's talked about. So I wasn't going to all of a sudden make some, you know, crazy pastry stout that had been, you know, infused with a thousand ingredients. I thought, well, let's, why don't we take this recipe? And I knew that the recipe that he had written was not going to work on my brewing equipment. Um, just, we would have end up with too much residual sugar or just, just the way that it all worked. And so we just adapted it for our system and brewed an American imperial stout for that. Just, just the way that it was designed in the first place without adding too many adjuncts and things like that. And then um, funny enough is the stout was, was brewed and ready for quite a while before it was released. And um, I probably won't go too in depth into this process because the people that we were discussing things with all had very valid reasons for this, but we actually were having a hard time to find a charity to donate the money to. I heard that in mind. Um, We had brought it up with, with a number of, uh, we, we, it was really important for us to do something as local as possible for that. And unfortunately those things didn't work out. There were some, some reasons that people were felt uneasy about taking the money. So in the past we've worked uh, closely with sick children and with mental health. And so when we were going through a bunch of different resources. I think maybe I found a resource on Ren's uh, on Ren's page for for um, Black Health Alliance, and then we just kind of oh. started going that route, and that's where the money went. The Black, um, health which was no, the Black Health Alliance in um, Toronto. Black,
0: yeah. The is it, it's not helpline. Well, healthline health You say I haven't heard of it.
1: Yeah. Uh, Black Health Can would be their their Twitter handle or their Instagram handle. Cool. And um, that money was then going to support, in fact, youth programs and, and helping families that were struggling with the pandemic and in particular, you know, mental health initiatives. So we were able to find something that resonated with the things that we supported in the past. And so that's where that went. And we were super thrilled with the way the beer came out. I mean it wasn't a far cry from the Imperial stouts we've made recipe wise. There were a couple of softer elements that I was really into. And I think what I really, really loved about it was there was this major chocolate flavor that came out of it, almost like this molten chocolate flavor. And there was like nothing added to that, right? It's just barley, malt and oats. Mm-hmm. And we gave it a healthy, healthy dose at cascade Hobbs. So we were really happy with the program. We we're really happy with the beer itself. And, um, Still, you know, still, still to this day, to be totally honest, kind of just our heads are just kind of like, what the fuck? Like, what are we, What? Are, where? where's our place in this? What do we do? How do we do anything? And at the same time, you know, as the pandemic has stretched on, like we've just been very, very compromised as a business to get involved in, in anything at all, to be honest with you. So um we'll be curious to see where this goes in the future. But uh, we were certainly happy to be a part of it and, you know, give ourselves a good shake and learn a little bit for ourselves to understand where, where we come from and the effect that we've had on Black culture our entire lives, whether it's my parents, their parents, myself, everybody, right? It's pretty easy to live in a little suburban white neighborhood and become pretty enclosed in what's around mm-hmm. you and, and the things that you know. But, you know, it's a good time to learn about the things you
0: don't know at this point. That's it. If, and if that's what, if this is what it took for a lot of people to learn about it, you know, again, it's not too late. It's, you know, that's really what this was all about. A lot of, I, I saw more people learning from this than like, you know, obviously this wasn't the first time this had happened in the States or anywhere else. So this was the most God impactful no. one because there were more eyeballs on it because everyone was stuck at home or whatever, not doing what they yeah, that's to it. do. So, you know, if it, if it, mm. if it taught you something. You know, it's a beautiful thing and it moves you to actually get involved in and, and uh, that's really dope. I love it. I think it's cool and I it's interesting just as we were setting up before we were, they, um, I was talking to Tiff about it because they just launched the Weathered Souls versions now in the Walmarts, 300 Walmart stores. I saw
1: that. It's crazy. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's crazy and they've got yeah. big end dials like I've seen the pictures yeah. of the end dials at Walmart.
0: That was the one, you one know. with,
1: with wow. You know, that'll stir something up and yeah. in a positive way, I believe. Yes, I certainly I, have to believe.
0: I've seen a couple of negative things about it, and it's I th- I disagree with them. Um, as a white dude, I'm going to shut my fucking mouth. But I don't think the criticisms of this program are totally valid. It's uh, that I've seen, but I think overall, if it's getting people, you know, thinking about it, and, and also the good thing, you can do this again. You don't have to. Was it wasn't like the all together with the other half was like the one time? This is something that can be done over and over. So if people are in a position to do it again and they're able to do that, then you know, it's an ongoing thing, which I like to see. It's kind of cool. The the
1: yeah, and out. I think that I think that the, the the biggest thing that we'll take out of this and once again I'm I'm just kind of a you know middle aged white guy as well. I should shut the fuck up. But I do believe that uh, the I I believe and I hope and I do believe that, you know, this conversation will now officially be ongoing yes
0: and and in in the beer world as well which is as we all know we were joking about earlier it's extraordinarily white and male so this is uh you know hopefully it just gets more people thinking when they look around their organized it doesn't matter what industry they're in like you look around your organization and you're like huh everybody looks like me that might not be a you know if you're a white person that's i wonder why that is and it's hopefully it's painted a bit more of a picture to show people the, the value of having a diverse team perspective oh for sure and, you know understanding what what other things could be bad could be good that you're not even considering you know it's a it's definitely had as, as much as it was a genuine huge huge tragedy it's it had a uh hopefully seems to be having some sort of a positive outcome an impact mm-hmm. on society i saw his, his family today george floyd's family they got awarded with 27 million
1: or something from 27 million there. yeah and you know like i i I do my best to really try and stay away from um, a lot of social media and, and forums because there's just, people just don't know how to do anything but spit hate all the time. And, you know, you yeah. see people being like, Oh, well, you know, well, at least the family got 27 million bucks. And I'm kind of like, fuck, I'm pretty sure they don't care. No. <laughs> you know, yeah. like that doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't solve anything. That doesn't put anything to rest. That doesn't, that does not bring their family member back. Um, so really at the end of the day, like you just said, you should shut the fuck up. I should shut the fuck up. I, I think people in general should just start shutting the fuck up. Uh, if you've got something bad to say, you know, say it say yeah. in your house, you don't need to get on the internet and start blowing things up. It's just, it's just a terrible, terrible place to be sometimes.
0: I couldn't agree more. I've seen so many times. I don't know why people have to go out of their way to say negative ass shit. It's just unnecessary. Okay, you didn't like that beer. Did you really have to comment on that? Like, let, let it go. Like, it's all that serious. And that's a a, a, a trivial version that, you know, it's then.
1: <laughs> that oh, that stuff makes figure. me laugh, though.
0: Yeah, that's funny because yeah. people seem to. You didn't
1: that. like my beer, but now you feel wronged because you didn't <laughs> like the beer I made. Like, this is so weird, man. Like, so, so you don't like it.
0: Like, okay. You know? Give it one on untapped, like you do. Don't like salads. One. Okay. Good for you. That's it. Yeah, people are wild. Yeah, I got a bunch of uh, comments from uh, from a few folks here. My brother's in the building. Says, "Cheers, gents. Good day, mate." Uh, Nate What's is up, saying. Bradley? A uh, speaking of Matt's favorites, this is from Nate. Speaking of Matt's favorite styles to brew, I'd love to know if you lost a bet when Judas Kiss came out because it seemed like one of the least Matt styles tooth and nail is put out.
1: It's a great question. I did not lose a bet. No, I, I consciously made the decision to to make the beer. Now, um, I think there are a lot of people who make a lot of assumptions about what I do and don't like, um, probably because I can be quite vocal about things from time to time. But um, with Judas Kiss, I mean, you know, the hazy style for me uh, has been a hazy, an think. interesting, it's a hazy pale, like it's pale. a little lower in alcohol, it's 5.8% or whatever. And um I think for me it was like okay, I like a lot of these beers I, I think a lot of them are really poorly brewed and um, I decided that there's this challenge there for me to kind of overcome this stigma I had about them right um and and the ones that I've had that I've enjoyed I mean they're just they're just amazing drinking experiences but the number one thing that I was not enjoying about the style of beer was 95% of them that I'd have, I'd get halfway through the glass and I'd be like, I'm done. Like, it's like, I've got crazy hot burn going on in my throat. And there's a lot of sugar in here. And I don't really particularly like very sweet beers. Um, So I said, can I take this idea? Can I do some research, figure out, you know, first of all, why are we creating the haze? How are we creating the haze? What's the end goal here? And then produce something that I believe has got drinkability to it that is still crisp and refreshing at the end of it all. And so it was kind of more of a challenge to myself to just see how we could pull it off. And um, the first batch I liked, the second batch I hated. <laughs> and now, now I'm pretty pretty into the beer itself. But we, you know, we brew it once or twice a year or something like that. I think I'm probably putting it in the brew schedule in the next month. So you're a hazelnut. But, um, yeah, I'm team lactose all the way, bro. Hey, my man. I knew it. I knew it.
0: I knew I had faith in you. A uh, couple more yeah, comments yeah, from yeah. Nate. Um, he says, I lo- I felt the Tooth & Nail adaptation of the Black is Beautiful recipe was a great execution in the spirit of the original recipe. It was a great imperial stout. And good on you guys for responding to the feedback. Mm-hmm. From the
2: community.
0: So that's dope. Um, no, I love it, man. Do you want to go to the next beer? Because I guess we'd be 40. Yeah. Years. I know Noah's like a no, little, little slower. So basically, Matt, you want to tell people? He's, he's probably just done. To... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Noah's is crushing. It. He does this Almost at 4 actually. p.m. every day. <laughs> 4 p.m. every day. Noah sends us a photo of the 10% beer he's drinking. It's phenomenal. <laughs> Are you sure? Not every day. Most days.
3: <laughs> Many days. Many, Many days. days.
0: But you're up at like yeah. 5 a.m., so that's your like. Yeah. 10, 10 PM. Yes,
3: that's my evening at the, yes. that point, basically. So
0: I'm not. I'm well, not I'll actually... start
1: sending you the beers I'm drinking at 5 a.m. How's that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd that love works. to see that. We need a group chat on Facebook, boys. Um, yeah, right. Should we? I guess just the lightest ABV of the stouts.
1: Yeah, do you want to dive into the stouts? Whatever you want, want to do, or do you want to go, go the the time.
0: Whatever um, you want to do, we can do the saison if you want to do that first, and then we can do the stout. You tell me. You're in charge. Your I mean, I
1: probably if. If we're gonna try all all six that I sent, I'd probably try the saison first, and then and then just go into the stouts. It's gonna be pretty hard to come back after Fortissimo and enjoy a, a saison. That's true. Should we yeah. do that first? We, what's it called again?
0: Is what's
3: that it? Valor? Valor. 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 It, yeah. It, thank oh, thank you, so man. Um, I want to be at your guys's place. Uh,
0: sorry. Yes. So <laughs> Noah Noah filled in for Nate. So Noah doesn't have the exact same beers as us, but he does have the new next one. Noah, I guess is the, is one of the ones we'll be drinking.
1: Cool. Um, tell us about this. You know, was, um, so Valor is super, super fun. Um, I'm, I'm a massive Belgian beer fan. Uh, I know it's probably like the least popular style of beer out there these days. Um, I do believe you'll see a resurgence at some point because the beers are so damn delicious and food friendly and, um for valor yeah. it was it was a really wicked uh experience um i had never brewed a saison before even though you know saison dupont is in my top three desert island beers nice um Good and i think it was yeah i think it was march of the first year we opened so we been open about six months okay and um I knew I wanted to do a saison, but I literally spent like a month reading every night about as much information as I could get about what a real saison, like how to brew them, because it's a pretty historical beer, right? And I'm not sitting out on a farm where I've just got spare spelt and all these different things kicking around. And it was the essay by Yvonne de Betts in the uh, Farmhouse Ales book that really, really inspired me. So I took a lot of those tips and a lot of those ideas, and then we brewed Valor and, um, it wasn't like we didn't even have a label for it or whatever, and i I just chucked it out to the Canadian Brewing Awards as a joke and it won a gold medal. Wow. So super, super thrilled with it. Um, it's It's had some ups and downs over the years, but overall, I'd say probably one of the most consistent beers that we've produced. And it, to me, it's everything about the saison style that I love. So you've got you've got uh, wheat, barley, oats, and rye in there the rye kind of picks up on the hoppiness a little bit and the spiciness of the yeast. And we, we brew it to be like excessively dry, um, very, very spritzy, very, very dry. And yet you get all these wonderful fruity aromatics off of it that comes through with a little bit of pepper and a little bit of spice on the background. So for like, what is actually a bit of a, a complex grain bill, um, and, and yeast, um, fermentation, um, there's so much flavor and yet it's just so insanely refreshing and drinkable for me.
2: Yeah.
0: Anyways. Does that, I feel like I only took like a, a rather large, large heavy sip there. So I didn't, I didn't go back to it, but is there a lot of, um, like fennels or like, is that that like sort of? thing happening?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, this yeast, um, we actually blend two different yeasts for this one in house. Um, And you're definitely going to produce some of those phenols coming out. But I do find their imbalance. Like to me, when the phenolic nature of the beer starts to go over to like, like burnt plastic, burnt vinyl, that kind of like, there's definitely like a more band-aid-y type thing. Yeah, That's um, when you've kind of pushed it too far and you've, you've kind of ruined it. This come across more to me as just like some, some, some pepper, some baking spice, um, and it's and it's just a nice balance with just the huge fruity nose of it um, coming through.
0: Yeah, definitely getting that pepper going on.
3: Go on mm-hmm. I was just gonna say, Craig um, is not a fan of Saisons, generally speaking. No. But I, can I, tell I have a feeling. Yeah,
2: I have a feeling
3: you you pro. And I'm not putting you on the spot, Craig, but I have mm-hmm. I would have a feeling that you'd probably enjoy this one more than. Many Most. others. I know you tend to like yeah. the, you know, the oaked, you know, Brett saisons that where all those fennels are kind of eaten away, and then you just have that dustiness left. But I feel like Valor, um, from what I remember, it's been a little while. It had like a slight peppery and slight uh, spicy component to it, yeah. but it, it drank more like saison Dupont than it did. A lot of people. End up brewing these saisons that just taste like like heavy cloves, like you're drinking like a yeah, Unifruit beer or something. Um, but that's not really what what valor is. Valor just it, it's more of a subtlety and a, just a balance thing. Like that's you why I was
0: casually asking about the fennels because I, I hadn't got them yet. That's just my main thing. Exactly what Noah said. Like I just the only way I describe it. I like the Hill Farmstead style of farmhouse ales, which are kind of that real softer, more delicate, almost that chewy body. Um, This is not quite that, as far as like it's a little higher ABV. I guess those ones are like five mark, but this is like the peppery. I'm liking the spices here. I'm not. It's not a banana bubblegum clove beverage. Like that, I can't. I well, can't I
1: think guess. some people kind of get it wrong in the in the brewing because you know er, early in the fermentation, this does have quite a bit of banana in there. Okay. and I think that one of the um, I don't like to use the word mistakes, but maybe one of the um, ways that people could improve their saisons is to understand that these yeasts work and work and work for an extended period of time. So, just because your fermentation is over, uh, according to a hydrometer, when the sugar's all been eaten, there's still a lot of activity going on in that beer. So, some people will be like, okay, well, they'll turn a saison out in two and a half or three weeks. Um, And I think that they're really missing a lot of what happens in that three to five week period, as long as you keep the beer warm enough in the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, these contribute to mop things up like the big banana esters. They contribute a lot more spicy, a lot more complexity over time. And that was one of the things that I had read about and learned very, very early on is a lot of the time in, in well, it referred to the U.S. brew pub problem, so to speak, mm-hmm. as they put it when I read it was that, you know, you've got to turn and burn these beers to keep your brew pub full of beer. And brew pubs in States are, you know, crazy busy. And so they were just like rotating through these saisons and calling them saisons, but not really giving them the respect that they need to allow them to breathe, allow the root to, to produce these really complex and wonderful flavors. And also just getting it bone dry is just so important. I mean, you have a whole bunch of sugar in this thing and then that's, that's when things just start falling apart. You know, it needs to be lean.
0: Maybe that's what it was then. Maybe it's like the ones that were a little more rushed. And it doesn't Well,
3: it's also one of those. You, know, you don't have to like Saison, by
1: the way.
0: No, i I mean, I might that.
1: put you in a different <laughs> category of friends. But. <laughs> well, I don't hate it.
0: And I know that now I understand the value of what you do. When I first met you, I didn't understand it. I wasn't ready for it. I was looking for something else than what you were doing. And whilst I appreciate I enjoyed all the stuff that we had, I just wasn't, I was looking for that, That really, that's what I can fuck about for the longest time. Because you just couldn't get here and I, it's driving me crazy. And also I couldn't leave. Could I leave there? No, I could leave. I got a visa. I was good. Um, that you know what the problem.
1: funniest thing is? Yeah. When you guys came to my place to interview me, I think Scott went to the bar to grab the beers. Okay. And he came back. We were sitting by the tank in the back, you and I, and he came back and handed you your beer and he's sitting there. He's got the beer and he's going, see, check this shit out. It's clear. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were so blown away. What is he doing? That this was a clear beer. Like what the hell? Where did, where are we? What is this? What did we sign up for? And I just started laughing, man. I couldn't help myself.
0: It it, and you should have laughed at us at the time. And to be fair, the podcast no. was like two years old. We didn't know shit. And we'd only been taking it serious for a short period.
1: Yeah, so. I wasn't laughing at that. I was laughing because you guys are entertaining as hell. Oh.
0: <laughs> and you know what? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. all it was back then. It was just, As long as it was entertaining, now it's kind of got a little nerdy because as I learn more by talking to smart motherfuckers like you two, I'm learning more and getting a more complex palette and stuff. Obviously, it's nearly, nearly six years now, so I, I really should know more about it. But, yeah. It's, Long journey, uh, man. We've got
1: a lifetime.
0: That's it, bro. It's been it's been fascinating. It's been really great. But it's cool to sort of like – the. I feel like the lag is really spearheaded that. Like, we're talking about bring it back again. But spearheaded that interest in more classic styles. And then, you know, as I got closer with Noah and Nate and, and – dudes who also, you know, Noah's been, we've been drinking good beer for about the same time, and Noah, you were doing the blog. When I started getting into beer, you were writing the blog, so you are solid five, so years ahead of me in the taking it seriously game. So it's been really fascinating to come back, and now I, I get what you do. I keep, I kept hearing everyone losing their minds over um, the pills and, and all the other stuff, and and I was like, oh, it's that good, eh? Like, okay. Like, I, I didn't, didn't know. And then when I tried it, Nate actually got me the fifth anniversary one. I, I hadn't been to it since. So whenever I saw it at like Baja, I always got it. I always enjoyed it. Um, and then I got the, f- the fifth anniversary one. It was amazing. And then now I'm appreciating these sort of these farmhouse, these saisons that, that prior to this, I probably wouldn't have um, even bothered. And I wasn't trying to skip it. I just thought we were trying to do the full stout for the pretty intense. So I was like, oh. I wasn't sure if we were doing it. I'm I'm more than happy to, right
1: now. But I'm I'm genuinely we can we can move on whenever you like.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I feel like uh, we'll get through as much of this as we can. And normally, what we do in the, I mean, no one's going to beat guy the 750s, and we might have to clock that for tomorrow. But we'll we can go through like half and just so we can talk about them because what you're actually doing with this the the pack is super dope. We'll get to that in a sec. Um, As far as like like the styles, like giving the context of. Back then in 2017 and not knowing much about it, would you happy to be in Ottawa and everyone was talking about Ottawa beer and stuff at the time? It was like you guys were just coming up as far as a city um, with a bunch of phenomenal breweries. Around the same time, I felt like it was like bam, bam. It's kind of like where Gatineau is now. Ottawa was like four years ago, I would argue. I don't know if that's fair. If either of you guys think that's fair. Sure. Yeah, yep. yeah. Sense. I I remember being very excited to be there and it was very you know, I don't know that it? Ottawa
1: ever had the the you know I don't know that Ottawa ever got the the hype of the breweries in Gatineau like I don't think that that was the trajectory of us
2: right
1: you know as as a no, group probably. of breweries like I, and I remember you know because I I moved back to Ottawa from Toronto so I've got a lot of um, friends and connections and and I go to Toronto and people are like what's going on in Ottawa man I, I just keep hearing about Ottawa all the time and I'm thinking I don't know. I've got a bunch of breweries there, just like anywhere else. You know, we're all we're all kind of trying our hardest and stuff like that. But with the Gatineau thing, I mean, that's just like,
0: yeah, it's a a different world. But I kind of like it. I don't know because I hadn't thought about it until rewatching those clips. And our like that's what we were talking about. And a lot of them, aside from our obsession with haze, we were talking about the Ottawa area and how things were going crazy with you guys in Dominion. Um, I can't remember who else, though, around the same time. Was it like, I don't know, Bicycle? Was you know, I don't want to be on um, the pale.
3: Yeah. yeah, true, of course. Yeah.
0: I think Bicycle was Bicycle. They were dropping the um, uh, the milkshake IPAs and stuff around that time as well. If they got to
1: be roughly the same age as us, Bicycle. And, uh, I can't remember and exactly weapons. when they opened, but everything
3: kind of happened, you know, Yeah. within I mean, a couple of years.
0: I think that was kind of what I, it was. Go on, Bill.
3: And I think one of the things was that at the time, probably if it was 2017, I think it kind of speaks to the challenges that you were having, Craig, with trying to find more um, fun contemporary styles that weren't quite as popular in Quebec yet. Like we had killer, we have and had killer breweries. I mean, Dunham was huge at that point, did sell obviously, but they weren't brewing Milkshake IPAs and 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 a lot of the the haze wasn't there were a few but it wasn't as big uh, and then in the last what like two years let's say Quebec almost like surpassed every other province in the country for um, fun IPAs and stuff like that so I think at that time. Ottawa had Bicycle coming out with crazy stuff, Beyond the Pale was doing really well uh, and then you had uh, what Matt was doing which was kind of bal- like counterbalancing that. so it was really kind of up and coming I don't know if that makes sense
2: I
0: think you're right, that's mm-hmm. exactly what it was but I didn't know, I didn't see the value of, of that balance at the time when I was looking in my backyard and couldn't find anything I really wanted, I go to Toronto all the time so I could find most stuff there, and I felt like Ottawa was always kind of that place. in was sort of its own little world, and it was cooler to see that. That's why it's the same as getting no like kind of exploding now. It was cool to see, I guess, all the um, you know just a lot of attention on a lot of things happening at one time that were exciting. I thought that was super dope. So when you opened, I know we're not going if anyone wants to hear the um, the full story. I think you were episode fifty one or fifty two of the original podcast series um so if they want to hear the full story there but Matt when you opened what were you what were you trying to do with the brewery did you have specific styles that you were like all right this is what I'm going to do as well um I mean I
1: I'm just trying to kind of remember I remember that you know I had I had a very different approach there was no I mean there was some direction um in you know I knew that we were opening a pub and that, you know, I needed to kind of make sure there was a little something for everybody. Um, I, I grew up. So I, you know, people probably always say grew up on this kind of beer. I don't mean grew up on it, but like when I got into craft beers, I was really heavy into American IPA for sure. And I really didn't want it to be like an IPA place. I didn't want to just have like one single kind of beer. Right. And I, did a lot of training. I did a lot of research. I, I was so passionate about studying beer, studying brewing, studying these things in the early days that I knew that I had a real, you know, uh, international influence so that, you know, I was as, as inspired by an English bitter as I was a German alt beer as I was an American IPA and et cetera, et cetera. But I think when we opened the brewery, you know, I knew I wanted to do the pills. I knew that we would do an IPA. I didn't really know what that looked like yet. And, you know, I drank probably about 150,000 Sierra Nevadas opening up the brewery. So I knew we'd have a pale ale, something in that vein. And um, I think really my, my, the thing that I, started brewing with was the idea of like, I'm going to keep this simple to begin with. I don't know how my equipment works yet. I don't want to try something big and dangerous that just gets dumped. I don't want to kind of like, I don't want the learning curve of learning how to work in this brewery to be too steep. You know, I've always had the philosophy of like walk before you run. And I'd often been very, very critical of some new brewers that would open up a new brewery while I was not a brewery owner and just a beer fan. And I'd be like, well, why the hell are you trying to do this crazy beer when you like just brew like 35 IBU hoppy pale ale and make it clean and start there and then get your chops and then kind of do all these other things. So I kind of approached it with that idea. And then, you know, people were really digging the beers I was making. And I was kind of thinking I I was kind of assuming that the public was going to think that those beers were pretty boring. Hmm. Um, But Hmm. people took to them really quickly and um and so i kind of said well okay well i'm not going to reinvent the wheel now let's kind of go down this path a little bit and see see where we go i mean if you had asked me three years previous to opening tooth and nail would i be making the beers that i'm making i mean maybe some version of it but i think at the time i was i was considering a much more boisterous portfolio so to speak but now, what I really like is is in good times when you know beers are turning over and we have people coming into the pub and beers going out the door and all this stuff. Um, I like that you can come in and and there's like there's like like so many different styles of beer. And I don't really love the moniker that I've been given that I brew the classic styles because I mean, you take a beer like Discretion. I mean, there's 13 different fruits yeah. and, and flowers and and things like that in it, and that is something that I literally dreamed up with through a creative exercise to come up with. It doesn't match any styles and we we do a number of beers like that. It's just that I think that the the idea that, you know, if you want a great BJCP homebrewed perfect you know beer to to follow the styles go to tooth and nail and I'd love to shake that kind of persona at some point, but I guess I kind of walked into it somewhat knowingly.
3: Yeah. I mean I think I think what ends up happening is that you unfortunately get either put in the bucket of like, you're doing really trendy stuff or you're doing classic stuff. And those are the only two buckets that can now exist, um, which is obviously completely ridiculous. But um, yeah, because to your point you from the beginning, as much as you, you brew um, well and clean and balanced um, you do mess around. Like, like I would just, that, that doubled the, the first beer I had from you. When you, I was reading the ingredients list. It was like four, what it was it? Orange peel, uh, raisins and spices. Uh, raisins and orange peel. Yeah. 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 Like that's um, obvi- I mean, obviously all those things are complimentary, but they're not traditional. Um, no. so yeah, like that's, think, that's know, an innovative and interesting thing.
1: One of my mentors that I worked for in San Diego kind of, I was leaving my internship there and he he took me out and, you know, we kind of had a, a, a lunch and a goodbye and all this stuff. And I asked him for some, some advice. And his whole thing was like, don't just choose an esoteric ingredient because you think it's cool. Go ahead and, and, and try to find the flavor attribute of that, how that's going to work with the beer like use it because it's going to lend something to that beer. Don't don't be like, "Oh, you know, I'm going to, you know, go out and put crickets in my beer because nobody's done that before." He's like, "It's never yeah, like right. it'll be good for that quick flash sale, but beyond that, you, it's not going to go anywhere." So I've always approached those things and and to me like I'm not a scientist, you know. I've had brewers that are far, far more science-oriented than I am and and they can talk circles around me. I, you know, I failed all through science, all through high school. I actually had to go and and take a university chemistry class just to get into brewing school. And, um, I I approach things much more from the art side of things. And to me, even if I'm going to brew a standard, uh, you know, golden ale, which I I will never do, but if I were to do that, I would approach it. You know, how creative can I get and how I'm going to put this thing together because Brewing for me is probably one of the real only outlets that I have. Um, and so recipe development, execution of process. I mean, for all of the beers we do, I can't think of a single beer that follows the same process as the other, like the processes are designed for that specific beer. Um, whether I'm using first war hops, there has to be a reason to use first war hops. If I'm, Um, dumping stuff in the whirlpool. There has to be a reason for that. If I'm skipping a certain step in the brewing process, because it's going to give that beer something that is special. So even in the most standard things, I still approach that from an extremely creative process. And if you're talking about lumping beers into either the hyper trendy stuff or the classic stuff, I'd like to see a bucket there for the creative stuff too. Um, And I, and The hardest part about that is right now I'm in a total creative slump and you would think that the pandemic would have thrown me into this like creative like utopia and it's the exact opposite. I'm finding myself very stunted and I'd like to come up with a bunch of really new interesting products for the summer and I'm just like just banging my head against the wall right now and I guess it'd be something akin to to writer's block but I think you know that creative element is, is actually at the end of the day what drives me to do what I do.
0: Interesting. Do you think it's maybe like a lack of smoothies? I was about to say smoothie sour collab. Let's go, Maddie. Let's let's get some exploding cans happening for the kids.
1: Oh, you know what's so funny though, like because there's there's now this certain like now there is a an umbrella that tooth and nails a brand falls under. So like I can't like this I can't just all of a sudden come out of left field with something like insanely wacky. I mean um, yeah, I guess not.
3: Small Pony did it.
1: That's true.
0: And that I mean, that, I know, that was
3: tasty. Didn't. And that was wet. Yeah. It was yeah. different, yeah.
0: eh? Ridiculous question. Being yeah. that all the, like with all this context now, like how do you feel about, because I feel like the smoothie sound was at the new haze, right? It's all controversial controversial. People are getting furious about exploding cans when really, I don't think it's that much. I think people are
3: boosting. Their, their and their taste. beer cocktails and not real beer and then there's arguments about that. And, yeah. So yeah, what's your take <laughs> on the <all> whole that? <laughs> Yeah, I stay the fuck out of it. To be honest with you,
1: I don't. Uh, I don't have the time or the energy to get involved in those discussions. Um, you know the small the small pony smooth. I thought was was really tasty. Um, you know, some of those beers and what I know of them don't make a lot of sense from a science point of view and a and a safety point of view in some regards. But I think that it's like anything. You're gonna have you're going to have some burgeoning trend and everybody is so hell bent on being the first to get there that you end up with so many terrible and, and in this case, particular case, and I never thought I'd say that, but almost dangerous situations. Um, and then you get the people who take a step back and maybe they want to brew that kind of beer and they give it some thought and they give the process a thought and they figure out how can I get fruit in there that's not going to make the can re-ferment and explode? And, you know, like, and then you start coming out with these versions that are interesting to drink. Um, for me personally, I mean, my palate is just not a sugar oriented palate. So while we do have some beers with high residual sugar, uh, I think they're much drier than their counterparts from, from other people. Um, so I, I never really get overly interested in it. Uh, you know, instagram culture of of craft beer these days is is kind of pretty wild um and and the way that people can really grab onto an actual photograph and 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 make that that beer their own and and now i only drink smoothies and and all this stuff because i saw this really cool photo that had some strawberries in it and you know like all this stuff so i think that's a really bizarre part of the industry right now and it's not a part of the industry that i was like that wasn't that wasn't That stuff didn't exist when I got passionate about brewing beer. Um, So I don't know that I'm ever really going to get into any of that at this point. It doesn't drive me in any way. So um, I I try to keep my mouth shut as much as possible and and just let things happen. And what am I to do to tell somebody that they shouldn't like something? I mean, that's ridiculous. So as time goes on and I think I kind of mature a little bit and, and hopefully the ego can stay in check and I'll just put my head down and keep doing what I do
0: that makes sense i think it's also fascinating that the uh just to come back to what you said before about being known as a traditional brewery i wonder if it's just like you only because you were so ahead of the game to begin with that by the time this shit became cool you were already doing exactly what everybody was looking for and as i i kind of thought it was because if brewers make the beers brewers want to drink pills because they work these very laborious you know 8 to 12 hours shifts for so lifting heavy things and it's sweaty and blah 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 the last thing you want is a milkshake IPA you want this nice clean light pills and all. and then they just keep probably taking that same innovation to keep making that beer better then they're delivering it then the same beer nerds who come to buy the haze are just seeing the brewers with this big foamy pour and they're like oh what the fuck is that and it kind of like became this sort of little moment um, it got momentum and became this thing and all of a sudden you're sitting here oh, I've been doing this for five years bro welcome catch up type of thing. And it's like,
1: well, five a... years is insane, right? Like what happened in five years? Like
2: what? Yeah. it's
1: crazy. So like, bad. Five years is no amount of time. And yet the shit that's happened in five years, let alone 10 is, yeah. is nuts. But, you know, I just had this conversation with someone the other day. And to your point, you know, there are a lot of brewers that are, are very kind of like, I'm not the only guy out there trying to, you know, just make clean mouth beers. I mean, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, Tons of different places, you know, Suarez in, in New York, you've got Godspeed, you got Four Winds, you've got, you know, all these, I'm not going to start name dropping all over the place, but there is definitely a group of people who are more impassioned by that than the others. And I think at the end of the day, and I just had this conversation with somebody is all of those people probably know who Michael Jackson is. Yeah. But I would say that there is probably a massive Portion of brewers who got into the industry in the last five years that really have just heard the name and don't really know what he did for the brewing industry. And there may be a dividing line that comes with Michael Jackson's death where something kind of stopped and something picked, picked up. And, uh, I don't know. I think there's, there's certainly like when I got into brewing, I had to learn all this stuff. I couldn't just, you know, I could play around on my homebrewing kit and have some fun and stuff like that. But, you know, learning the history of beer, learning the history of styles, educating yourself on why things came to be, allow you to understand how they now came to this. Um, So I, I just think that that's an important part of, of, well, it's an important part of my learning experience. It doesn't have to be for everybody else, but I hope that the fact that that history uh, isn't necessarily being learned by everybody. doesn't impact, you know, I, I, I think we're going to pretty weird places right now. I don't know how much more weird we need to go. Um, I still like beer. I still like beer to taste like beer at the end of the. Day.
3: Well, I think the fun thing is is that as much as we're seeing things get like to a whole new level of wacky, you know what I mean? like things were wacky six, seven, eight years ago where all of a sudden people were brewing like 18% barley wine, like the or whatever, or like just these insanely high alcohol beers or shit like utopias or a uh, thousand IBUs and all this nonsense, um, mm-hmm. not nonsense, but like weird stuff that is just not balanced and not even that pleasant. To now going in a really sweet direction, and now with like smoothie seltzers uh, or uh, just seltzers in general, or like things moving like beyond beer. As much as there's that, I think we touched on this before, but I feel like there is this undercurrent of a, a repopularization um, of. I'm not going to use the word classic. But repopularization of styles that in the last five years were, were not very popular. You know, I, like, I, I wouldn't surprise me if people start drinking box again soon. And that becomes a thing. Or
0: Roos. Like, it's all about the
3: roost. <laughs> yeah, roost. Team
0: Roos, um, Team
3: Roos. But, like, the, the, and those types of beers are starting to excite me. Like, my, my friend Alex at Sean uh, he's been doing a lot of different types of lagers. Um, he just did, like, an Oaked uh, dunkel with a friend uh, that owns uh, an IGA, like, they it together, and that's actually what was in this glass before, uh, and it's freaking awesome, and anyway, all this to say, I, I think as much as things are, are kind of, uh, ju- you know, jumping the shark, um, it's not only that, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like
0: no, what's kind
3: of interesting and fun is it can go, is that as, as far, you know, left, it's going it's going back right at the same time. So I, I and that's what I like. Cause I, I'm trying to put, not that I have an ego cause I'm not a brewer, but I'm trying to put my ego aside too. And actually try and see if I do like that marshmallow uh, infused smoothie. Um, because brewing that to be palatable and not a complete disaster, I would imagine is a really challenging thing too. Just a different type yeah. of challenge um sure. and being able to to appreciate that while also equally being able, or equally being able to appreciate something that's much more refined and simple and straightforward um is kind of a fun uh, direction at the same time
1: yes, yes well and at the end of the
3: day like you know
1: people can like what they like you know yeah exactly my request is that people make their own minds up about what they like um, yeah because I think that would that would help
0: it was interesting what you were just saying before Matt about these brewers who managed to start a brewing the last five years um not knowing the history of brewing. I kind of liken that as well like I do music, I do rap music, I've been doing like into it since the early nineties when I was a child and and like so I studied the game and the ones that came out before, and then blah blah blah, Then all the kids now were just doing this trap and mumble rap stuff and I'm as the old man in rap who's been doing it forever I'm looking at these kids like what are you doing you idiot like it took me a while to get past the to understand what they're doing and because a lot of them don't give a flying fuck what happened in the 90s like they just it doesn't matter to them so I I don't have those same hang-ups with beer because I am the new kid I guess in that context being 10 years or so into it like taking it seriously um so I do get that, but I never. And I we were talking about I think even knowing a bunch of us recently, where if you think about beer drinkers who get into it the last few years, they wouldn't have had the same experience getting into beer as all of us did. Where you start with you know macro lagers, and you move to European lagers, then ambers or red ales, and then maybe a porter or brown ale, and a stout, and an IPA, an English IPA, or an American IPA, then into the Belgians, and you go through this. Pool, then into the trendy stuff, of what like, These kids come straight into the game drinking 8%, you know, triple dry half New England <laughs> IPAs and smoothie sours, and they don't know anything different. So it's sort of sure. like this, it's such a strange um, world where you know, a lot of people just didn't have that color wheel experience that we did. They'll go to somewhere like Masorum here in Montreal, where they just basically have stouts, crispies, and haze, and a few sours and stuff, and, and smoothies. Like, and that's all they know about beer. So I feel like it's such an interesting time to be into beer. And I guess that's probably why coming back again, why maybe you stand out a little more because you did stick to your guns and do this really well-made, once again, not you know, traditional classic, whatever, but just really well-made shit that never really followed the trend, just did your own thing. It just happened to be the what you were making ended up becoming trendy. So you find yourself here. And then, you know, I feel like like, yeah, I agree with Noah that you could make something kind of wild. You did the haze. I remember when we met the first time, you were, you said you had a collab with Great Lakes, and you were like, oh, some hazy shit. I don't know. I don't it. I, I remember it. that beer. Yeah? I like that beer. I remember you dismissing yeah, it, it initially, but I think it was in the tank, and you were dismissing the idea of it, not the beer itself, to be Clear. Right. To be clear, get it? Right. But well, it was clear. so funny, that
1: collaboration, because Lackey and I approached it from that point of view, going, let's just do one of these silly, <laughs> silly <laughs> views. And so, now, you know, look at Great Lakes portfolio. Yeah, it's
0: basically yeah. It. I mean, look, to be, to be fair, though, they were late on that. They took their time. Oh, for sure. And they decided. I want to They were allowed
1: it. to be, though. They were making some pretty great IPAs.
0: Oh, yeah. And no one was mad, though, because like, you yeah. know, RoboHop and stuff like that, and Thrust and all that stuff, was fire as they were as American IPAs or West Coast IPAs. They didn't need to haze but that's the direction they chose to go. Plus, they're also like 30-plus year, like, veterans. They can do what the fuck they want. Everyone's gonna love that's him,
2: it so. yeah
1: that's cool i mean at the end of the day anybody can do what they want i mean look at bim i mean BIM, bim's doing check loggers now next next year he, you know who knows maybe he's just going to be doing well i don't think those are going to stop but you know he gets hell bent on something and doesn't care what people are looking for i'm kind of maybe a little more in, in the middle, the middle.
0: I find it just an interesting yeah. thing. I haven't heard anyone say that before, and I really appreciate your candor on this one and just being like, "Look, I don't really know what's what to do for the summer." I think that's uh, an interesting place to find yourself, um, and I imagine it would be difficult because I don't think it's weird actually that maybe you haven't been super inspired. Because I've heard a lot of creatives that I follow, whether they're visual artists or musicians or whatever, you think that we're all got all this time in the world, but it's tumultuous. There's a lot of uncertainty. Negative I out. think the lack
1: of travel, yeah,
2: the lack Sweet of travel has yeah.
1: really probably stunted a lot of it, you know, like a lot of my ideas come from, you know, I've been fortunate enough to go to Europe three years in a row on beer trips and uh, get exposed to just different, just, just different ideas, right? Like, I'm not going to go to Belgium and taste, uh, you know, whatever the beer is and come in and just make that beer um it's just it's talking to people and just getting these ideas and your head gets filled with ideas and different processes and different um angles that attacking certain concepts and then you come back and you're you know invigorated to just go in and try something new and that usually turns into something pretty special um So, I think that even in music, in in any art form, in anything where you're looking for that kind of inspiration, I mean, the inspiration's not really being thrown at us at the moment. Mm -hmm. So, you got to dig pretty deep. Um, And then, of course, like trying to keep the business alive right now, um, you know, has not exactly helped with the creative side of things. It's like really just trying to make sure that you can hire some people back, that you can get your taproom open, however. However yeah. compromised that is, every dollar helps and and get through that. So I'm kind of just looking forward to 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 looking forward actually and just I think it'll start to come to me once the snow melts and or maybe skiing or I, I don't know. When yeah. things come to me, that just happens. It just happens. And if I search too hard, it takes longer for it to happen.
0: It's gonna let the universe work its magic and just drop the uh the ideas in there. Love it.
1: It's it usually speaking. does, you know.
0: I love that, man. I think that's great. Speaking of great ideas, want uh, to have a beer? To, yeah, we'll move to this next one because sure. I love this pack. And then Noah, one of the things you're about to grab is part of this. Um, Matt, do you want yeah, to I'll tell go us? grab mine now? Yeah, grab Definitely. yours. Oh, yeah, we we're good. What's the first one we're going to do? bro?
1: Well, we should we should start small right. and work up. And I can, yeah. So we'll we'll start with Fortitude Stout, which is uh, that
0: bad boy. My camera's a little bit slow here, but there you go. No, I get it. I got it. Could you yes. think that fortitude step The longest.
1: Thank you. So this is uh, from a pack. Should we talk about the pack? first? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the pack, I had the idea for the pack in about January. Um, you know, it was pretty evident that, you know, things are going to be pretty tough this time of year. Still. Um, every, you know, we, Dana and I've never really been like a big St. Patrick's day kind of people, but, um, You know, we have a bar that people like to come to on St. Patrick's Day. So, you know, the first year we had a couple of maybe a stout and a porter on or something, and we put something on a cask. And then the next year, it was just like this perfect storm. I had an imperial stout, a regular stout, and um, a bourbon barrel aged stout, and then a bourbon barrel aged stout that had been further aged in Madeira barrels. So we said, well, why don't we do this stout extravaganza?
0: Okay. And Actually, it's funny because it's like similar. The <laughs> it's oh, is it? I just randomly. Uh, yeah, right it. on. Look at that. Great minds. Um, okay,
1: so I keep going. Similar in a way to like, you know, what what Ciel does with Peche Day, but they're not variants of the same beer. It's a whole bunch of stouts. And, uh, and it was really successful. I mean, we had all kinds of people come through the bar, very, very busy days and some fun beers. And we did it again and again in various different uh, iterations because the beers are never planned for that day. Right. But this year we had the opportunity uh, because I knew a fresh batch of fortitude was going to come out. We've never released fornication in cans before. So fornication is literally just a 50, 50 blend of the Imperial stout and stout and probably my favorite of them. Um, So we got a label done for that and released that. And the Imperial stout was timed right. And we still had some, uh, a whole bunch of Fortissimo left in stainless from last year. Okay. Um, and I said, "Well, we could can that, and then we could put together our stout extravaganza four pack that people can take home." Is that what it's called? So, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was too busy to come up with a name.
3: Um, sorry. Uh, so yeah. So you can so get the. Go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say it was it's it's fortitude fortissimo. Uh, the one that's the uh, the blend of the two. And what was the fourth one? Fortified.
1: So this is okay, a total right. so, nightmare when you're delivering pegs to bars. Because <laughs> you've got all these, they're all essentially the same name, right? So Fortitude was our stout. Yeah. And yes. the history of Fortitude, you know, it was the first time I professionally brewed a stout and it came out first in CO2 and then we nitrogenated it. And it's just a very, it's just a really nice stout. And then I wanted to do an imperial stout and I, and, and I said, well, you know, like there's enough coffee and chocolate in fortitude in, in a Roman flavor wise. Why don't we amplify that and add some coffee and chocolate to it? And the brewer I was working with at the time, he was like, yeah, and you could just call it fortified, mm. right? Which that was the start of it all. Perfect. And then there was um, when we put fortified into bourbon barrels, I was really looking for a name that just meant big and loud and so you know through lots of google searches and thesaurus searches and all this i came across fortissimo and what does
0: that mean
1: um so fortissimo it's actually a musical connotation that means to hit loud to play loud um italian word from i don't know if it's from operas or or whatever the case was
2: Great.
1: Um, and then we had the Fortissimo that we then pulled out of the bourbon barrel and put into the Madeira barrel. And I was like, how do you get louder than Fortissimo? Right. So then I looked it up and there Fort- actually is a musical connotation called fortissimo.
0: I thought you'd make so then I was
1: like, what the heck, what have I done here? Right. And then I tend to go to the taps a lot and try different blends. So I don't know if you saw, we released Vim and Valor this year in Magnums, but Vim and Valor yes. started from just, okay. if you blend them on tap together, like that's my, I think it's my favorite beer that you can have a tooth and nail. When you referment it in the bottle, it really goes very strongly towards Saison. Okay. Um, but when you blend it on tap, it's like a hoppy Saison. It's like, it's it doesn't referment in your glass. So you kind of really get this nice blend. And then I blended Fortified and Fortitude together. And I was like, well, now you've got fornication right so that's that's the whole naming process and it was just just more for fun than anything but then you know we were using cold house at the time to deliver kegs and man like the wrong kegs going to the wrong bars and drivers so pissed off with the names because they're all you know you look at the label they all look the same and so <laughs> I like that this so is this is one. fortitude
0: okay cheers.
3: the nice. original
0: so this is like a nice you guys
3: crack. mind if I crack uh, fortissimo No, ahead gonna, of time we're gonna catch no. up
1: just make sure you siphon um, that, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the next year after that. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, that don't, we might have had two, two years with some issues.
3: But. Oh, so like, all right. You know, well, I'll let you talk know. Talk about
0: it when you pour it. I'm run to the washroom real quick. But yeah, t- tell us about this beer specifically. I know we're going to get to it when we do it. But Noah, what year do you have?
3: I don't remember. Um, I say? think it might be... I don't, not last year, but the year before. Is there a way, any way of knowing?
1: Yeah. No, there, I, I don't think I started putting dates until last year.
3: Um, you probably, so it would the be the year before edition. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. The third one I made. Cause I wouldn't have kept it like so, yeah. too long because I didn't want the coffee to fade out. But, uh, it's probably about two years. Ago. Yeah,
1: I really find with with the spirit, age, a barrel aged beers. Like, I don't, I don't particularly love to age them. I, you know, I think after about a year and a half or two years, you've you've lost a great deal of the actual barrel too. You know, I find that really squashes down almost like fruit in a fruit beer. Like, I, I find they're mm-hmm. better tasting when they're a bit younger.
3: And it's interesting too because some some of them are just magic. Like, there's something about Peche bourbon that like you can sit on that for a long time. And it still retains so much of what makes it great. It doesn't necessarily get better, but it changes a bit. Um, yeah. And I, I'd rather drink most of my beers fresher, but I just have too many of them. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, sure,
1: <laughs> sure. Um, I think Juju Sale is releasing the bourbon as a pack this year, right? Eh?
3: Yeah, so they're not doing Are they mix. releasing anything else or just bourbon? No, it's just... Yeah, I'm not sure why they did that way this year, but yeah, they're just releasing the bourbon, which kind of excites mm-hmm. me because that's my favorite of all of them. Right, right. Uh, right, right. And all the depths already, ha- all the stores already have them. They're just sitting on them. Um, and then uh, as of the twenty first, twenty first, then they're allowed. The twenty second, maybe. Whatever it is, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, mean, okay, I, I know.
0: Okay, so that. go on, go. On. Sorry, I wasn't sure if you were, if I just jump in. Here. Continue,
1: please. Yeah, no, I just haven't really talked about the beer at all. Um, <laughs> you know, fortitude. Um, yeah, I don't know what to say. It's 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 actually really it's worked out really well for us um, as a brand. Now, you know, with with it being nitrogenated, I think there's an opportunity um, for more bars bars and restaurants to be excited to purchase it because there are really not a lot of nitrogenated stouts available in the craft beer landscape. To exactly. Them. And so it's gotten into more places and people then get to try it. And uh, yeah, it's definitely got a a really great following. Um, I I think I only ever brewed one single stout before this in my life. And uh, I approach, sorry.
0: No shit. That's crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, I approach brewing dark beers, like very differently from pale beers. Like when you get into pale beers, I'm looking for the most simple, like if I write a recipe and it's got four grains, I will sit there and try and figure out how I can make it three grains or two, because I find the simplicity of those brews actually creates a delicate complexity down the road. But with dark beers, you, you know these flavors are really intense. You've got you know roasted barley and 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 some variants of roasted barley. Like those are those are very intense and burned and acrid flavors. So you do need some layering. Of malts to support those flavors, so that they come across as smooth and soft, as opposed to very aggressive and, and acidic, and, and all these different things. So, you know, I think Fortitude itself has the most malt we use in a beer, and I think it's eight, eight different malts, if I remember right, and just a very simple um, popping schedule at the start of the boil. And um, I just, I just really, really love. Like, I get different flavors off every sip every time I drink the beer. Whether it's in a CO2 version in the can or uh, nitro on, on tap is, is a very different beer. Um, we've served them side by side. Um, and, and they taste like two different beers, even though it's the exact same work, exact same fermentation, out of the same tank. Um, really, really interesting exercise. Um, I probably prefer the nitro version. Um, but I've started to we haven't had a lot of it on tap in the last year. I've started drinking more of the, the canned CO2 version and have definitely created a, an appreciation for it as well.
0: Oh, I love that. Will you guys talk about nitro because of Nathan's comment? If you could see that here, or did you not see that? Mm-hmm. You did?
1: I saw the word nitro. I oh, didn't read yeah. the comment. I saw the word nitro and I was like, oh, I should talk about so nitro. Well, it's
0: perfect because <laughs> he said, Fortitude on Nitro was one of my early tooth and nail So I remember having it in a flat. The first time I visited years ago, still a local fave and um, he said Vim and Valor was a revelation I remember that was Nathan's New Year's Eve awesome. he, was, uh, he was super stoked that he got the uh, the magnum of that one and he drank it all to himself he yeah, took it to the face like a G I respect
2: that <laughs> I would have
0: yeah man it's great, great. Um, and that's super yeah. cool I like I, I just love I like I've always been curious actually about the um, the naming convention so I'm glad you went through that but I think it's super cool that this seems like the you know pretty much the first stout you really ever built. You just built this whole, like did it kind of progress in an order of, not really ABV, but kind of that, you know, just got more and more intense over time, starting with the oatmeal stout and then going from there. Or was it kind of like you went from um, this and went to the big one that you're like, oh, let's do a seven. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it was more like that. It was. Okay. It was, you know, we had this and I knew I wanted to do an imperial stout in the first year. I just didn't really know what that looked like yet. And then this kind of helped to influence and dictate. So there was the idea of the two beers being, you know, cousins or some form of a series type thing. I just didn't know that it was gonna to go to where it went, um, in terms of of the different varieties and things like that. Um, but when I blended the two to come up with the idea of fornication, I was like, wow, that's really good. It's almost like too dry to be an export stout, not hoppy enough to be an American stout, but you've got the alcohol of both, and it's. You'll see as you go through the four different stouts, you just you just build in intensity, but all the flavors are familiar. There's nothing that's going to jump out at you as being like, "Whoa, that's way different than the others." Except for maybe when you get into the bourbon, but uh, um, just the. I like stouts to have a bit of heft. Like I liked, I like it to be rich. I like it to fill in my mouth. I like it to be bold. Um, you know, I have no problem going to a pub that doesn't have, you know, a lot of, of craft or, or smaller batch beers available and I'll have a Guinness, but the problem with Guinness is I was fine. I just, I'm, I'm look, I'm looking for more when I have it. Um, Guinness is always clean. It's always enjoyable. It's inoffensive. Uh, I think it used to be much better 20, 25 years ago, but, um, it's 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 fine, but I'm always looking for more balls, so to speak, more just something. Um and so that's kind of I approached fortitude from that point of view. I guess I shouldn't have said that, right? uh, I approached fortitude from that point of view. And um I think it's fine. And then the Imperial Stout came from there and then everything else. Gotcha. No, you were
0: saying you were
1: gonna
3: say it's Yeah, no. Um I, I think that's one of the things I appreciated about your stouts from the start, and you know, when when, when breweries can nail a lower ABV stout, it uh, it always catches my eye because yeah. um, a lot of them just come like they taste fine, but they come off almost, for lack of a better term, like watery or um, lack a certain richness. Now, you, I, I, when I when when you say richness, and I assume what you mean is what I mean, we're like. It's not it's not a sweetness, it's a it's a body thing, it's a it's a malt thing that it's a mouth coating thing with a with a yeah, strong finish. Like,
2: yeah.
3: like Everett from Hill Farmstead, like that beer is just insane. Um you yeah. know like that having that insane richness without the beer actually being rich or or having that that mouthfeel and that that complexity but not being sweet um that's that's the the kind of magic of of a solid stout um and i think i think you you do a good job of that um from four to to all the f's
2: oh, <laughs> the many the many f's, fs
3: which i've, I've been F- fortunate yeah. to have all of them with the exception of the blend i think uh yeah. and i i really enjoyed 4tcc mo as well that was a really interesting very bizarre was like fun. That Madeira thing gave like a real port-like feel to it, so it had like an oxidized wine mixed in with the roastiness, and then the bourbon vanilla. It was it was so layered. I remember just um, sitting and enjoying that glass. Yeah, and uh, and then there was yeah, that was
1: there there was a particular um, the Madeira barrel uh, harbored, I guess what what is known as Dakara, which is not you know far off. Brett and its flavors so there was a slight uh, you know we found some counts when I sent it to the lab and as it grew there was just this underlying kind of funk thing on top of all the Madeira on top of all of everything else that was layered in that beer um, that I was really really nervous about in the beginning but uh, over time it really played very well so that was you know a lot of the stuff that you, do, you, just, you just get lucky like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna claim that that was like an intentional thing that happened and it's just some beers who just
3: get lucky. Yeah, that was inter- interesting that you say that because I remember initially trying it and it being very much the Bourbon Barrel Age Imperial Stout with a real strong like sherry kind of vibe to it or whatever. and But no acidity, no funk. Um, and then... Actually, Craig, you were there that night. We had it. Um, remember the night we with at Derek's house before yeah, I, COVID? right before I was about COVID. To say, with Alabama. I'm
0: checking. On yeah, the we cracked it. Now, yeah.
3: And it was, it was a very different. This was you keeping in mind. This was a night where we did a blind goose tasting of, happens, of like yeah. <laughs> fifteen different gooses. mixed in with like double IPA. Thirty mixed with double IPA. Blah, blah. This got popped towards the end of the night, so it's all blurry, but I remember it it being like, this isn't the beer I remember. This had, uh, like, something had changed, and it was only a matter of less than a year, I think, in the bottle. It wasn't bad, but it was a very different beer. So it's interesting that you're talking about that Brett character that kind of like shifted a bit over time. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
3: Not Brett, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when we, you know, I'm a terrible planner, unfortunately, but I hope to plan to do some more interesting things like that in the future. You know, um, a lot of those ideas. and, And even with a bunch of the other kind of small batch barrel stuff that we've done in the past, they're always just kind of a last minute. Hey, I got this. Why don't we do this? But it'd be good to be able to plan some stuff a little further ahead so that we can, you know, work with those ideas, maybe recreate them, maybe do a better job.
3: Well your winter uh, it's also nice having uh, time capsules. What's the uh, what's the um your holiday uh ale oh, called? Truce. Uh, The Quad. Yeah. Yeah, Truce. Um that that particular edition of Truce was was phenomenal as well. Um, yeah, we did, did it again once, this right? year. I
1: don't we did it again this year. I wasn't quite as pleased with the result. It's still quite nice, yeah. but uh I don't know that the I don't know that the base beer going into the cognac barrel was as good as, as it had been in the past. Truce is a bitch. It's a real, it's a very difficult beer to execute year in and year out. And we had the cognac barrel full. Um, and so I decided against brewing it this year specifically and just releasing the cognac version and we'll revisit it in the future, but it's, it's that the beers never presented us with anything but a boatload of challenges. Mm. So even though the results, I mean, year to year, I think the results have varied. There's a couple of years that I thought were really great. A couple of years I could have just, you know, passed on. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty hard on myself when it comes to those things. So thankfully people enjoyed the beers, right? That's at the end of the day, that should be the goal. I kind of got to keep that in mind sometimes, but um, yeah, we'll take a break from that for a little bit. Um. We'll see what happens this year i'm not sure i would like to bring sustenance back though which is the beer you refer to with the raisins and the orange peel yeah i'm pretty sure i'll, I'll give we took sure. a break from that it's nice to take a break from these things when you start getting into that annual rhythm of this is when we have to have this beer out and this beer out and this beer out that also can stunt some creativity and become you kind of get into the grind of, of that and it, you know it's nice to evolve as well <laughs> So, yeah that makes sense.
0: What, what style is the um the truce is it is it like the anniversary beer? It, but
1: it's like no truce is based on a Belgian quadruple idea and then we add a star anise and dried figs and raisins to it so it takes on a much kind of sweetier fruitier rounder um idea than than you know a good quad is is pretty lean and very complex with with minimal ingredients whereas this is like throwing a whole <laughs> a load of malts and different things out of sugars. I don't know that the different kinds of sugars I've thrown in that beer over the years is mind boggling. That's amazing.
0: What do you think just all this stuff about the double and then now the quad and stuff based on that you know this is what you do and stuff what's your thoughts on the consumer appetite for these styles of beers as far as you know not, and not even in the context of the current trendy shit like you know people come to you for certain things. So even though they're coming to tooth and nail, maybe they're, you know, they're here for the pills and the saves and all the stouts, whatever. I mean, you've got these you know, fantastic Belgian offerings. What's the general, like, like who's buying that beer still? Who's talking about it? Who's excited about it? Like what's the,
1: well, I mean, the Belgian stuff doesn't sell very well. Um, it generally lingers on the shelf longer, which I don't mind because the beers are built for aging. They're built to last. And uh You know, I I'd say that uh in Ottawa in particular, there is still probably that um I don't like Garden, so I don't like Belgian beer kind of approach. I'd say a right. good chunk of what we sell Belgian wise comes from over in Gatineau. Um you know, French culture's just always been you know, associated with Belgians and Belgian beer, like Unibrew, does great. You know, Ciel's Belgian stuff sells well and, and things like that. So um, yeah. And it, and it's, it's hard because, you know, I always take the approach, like, should I educate people on on what they should expect here? And like, that's kind of, I've been lucky enough that in the past that the brew pub could do that for me because people could order a taster, they could do this and the bartender can chat up what makes that unique flavor and stuff like that. But if I could change anything, it's, it's the idea that, you know, like with dark beer, I don't like Guinness. I don't like dark beer. Well, that's ridiculous. Um, Guinness is a very, very defined taste. It's, it's, it's a little bit flinty. It's, it's not certainly not for everybody, but you can't throw all dark beers under one umbrella. And I feel the same thing for, for Belgian ales. I mean, you know, people will smell Valor and go, oh, it smells like a Hogarden. And I'm like, well, I mean, that's that's the Belgian yeast. You're going to get some similarities from beer to beer, but the beer itself tastes nothing like a Garden. And um, especially, like, I, I find it odd that, especially in this craze of sweeter, um, richer beers, you know, like a Belgian double is probably just a style that people, for whatever reason, haven't gone ahead and tried yet because i find it to be an extremely accessible flavor there's really nice raisiny notes in there there's a perception of sweetness even though the beer is dry very low bitterness like all of these things that would appeal to a wider set of palates without being so distinct as like uber hoppy or uber boozy or all these things i think if people given the chance they would they would probably really enjoy the style it's just Mm. just a hurdle
0: interesting so it's interesting you say that because I, I always think of it as people are over it versus refusing to try it. Because I'm probably just thinking of my own experience where I was like I just kind of like lost interest. One beer that did get me back into Belgium, which I would spoken about before, is Rodenbach, which blew my fucking mind, um, and now yeah. I'm in love with uh, Flanders Reds in a way I never thought I would be. Um, sure, and, uh, you know, but, like but so I am more. Open to trying it again because I remember when back in the day the biggest thing in the world was um, the West Letter and twelve. I remember having that; it just was just the most mind-boggling thing, and the flavors were changing as every sip and throughout the sip, the flavors were changing. I just I don't even think to this day I've ever had anything that complex before. Um, so I wonder if there's probably a, a, a both consumers, the newer folks that we were talking about earlier, who might not ever have gone through that Belgian phase who are just used to haze and, and smoothies and crispy balls and shit and then mm-hmm. and pastries and the sweeter stuff and then you probably maybe people more like us who went through it uh, uh like you know you guys don't seem over it i kind of got past it. and every time i've had it since i just kind of thinking, i don't want this i'm just not interested in it. right but, but i am more open i find now to be like i'm more open to be convinced
1: I mean, the thing about Belgian beer is I think there's almost a, you almost, you almost need some kind of a desire to want to figure it out and to want to enjoy it. And um, there's, there's not a lot of beer out there that's going to go as well with numerous amounts of different kinds of food than you're going to get with Belgian beer. Mm. Um, So if you, you know, the way that I kind of developed a taste was actually with uh, Modit and some aged versions of that with steak and things like this. And once I started actually having these things with food in the way that you would pair a wine with food, it really, really changed my whole concept of, of what I liked. And I definitely liked Belgian beer a lot when that happened. And I mean, you're also stuck in this thing where Belgian beer to people, to many people is, you know, an ankle a double a triple and a saison and a quadruple and a and a a wit and those styles just kind of rule the roost well i mean you go to belgium and i mean there's there's everything under the sun um and especially with some of the younger breweries now you know employing hops for the first time in ways that haven't been done in decades or centuries um very very you know Daranka, like one of my favorite breweries in the world you throw a fresh xx bitter in my hand and i'll you know, I won't want to drink anything else for weeks. And I mean, that is a hoppy, bitter beer. It's great. So, there's a lot under the surface that still needs to be discovered. But
3: uh, you kind of have to want to, you know.
0: Do you reckon is a possibility. Yeah, I only
3: recently discovered how special Durank, uh really is. Like I I'd had them in the past. Unreal. Um, but uh, recently, one of the importers started getting them into the SAQ. Yeah, they have the cuvee uh, there. They have a bunch. They have the the cherry, they have the XX bitter, they have the cuvee, they have a a few. And um, I got a little sampler to write about, and um, I just, I I guess it's one of those things where when you rediscover it, um, you're kind of just blown away by the the quality of, of those beers and just the uniqueness of them. Um, like games, they had yeah. such a particular common profile between them all in a way that was different. okay whatever whatever use profile they're using are uh, uh, it was it was quite special. Um, so yeah, you're right in the sense that like we think of all these um, those those traditional style, and we obviously we could talk about Lambic for days. <laughs> That's a whole other ball game. Yeah. but, yeah. It, I, I think I think Belgian like, Lambic is always going to be Lambic and Lambic's always going to have hype and it's always going to be sought after and it's going to be what it is because it's just such a thing of beauty but I think the, the Trappist stuff had its time recently that was like the popularity for the Trappist stuff was so intense like what 10 years ago that I think people mm-hmm. kind of like like Craig was saying, like enough 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 is enough with the trap. Over it, let's move on to other yeah. things. So, I think it's probably it's. It, I think it's slowly coming back. Like no one was brewing them for a while in Quebec. You no know, Quebec was like the place for it, but recently, I'm seeing a lot of like kind of more contemporary version, like a bourbon barrel aged quad or or like what you did with truce or whatever. And with the kind of resurgence of barley wine popularity, too, I'm noticing quad popularity coming back. So I think it's just a matter of time until people are kind of getting back into the the Trappist styles, maybe with more contemporary versions or or stuff like that. Um, But I kind of miss them a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't mind diving back into them.
2: I'm I'm yeah, getting tired yeah. of
3: sweet stouts. I, I I think I've drank enough sweet stouts to pack on enough pounds to last me a while.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you on the sweet stouts. Should Matt, in the interest of, I know we're yeah. probably looking to wrap up in a baton, yeah. Should we just keep these going? We can wrap these afterwards. What's yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, so
1: so go to fornication next.
0: Fornication. Oh, thank you so much. I know.
1: Which is um, Tiffany's
0: enjoying the name. But like, can you grab fornication? Yeah.
3: You?
1: So a new um, label for us. Cause we never can this before. And, and like, I'm really thrilled with the way the label came out. It's like, it, there's a sensuality to the label itself that uh, comes through in the beer. And this like, yeah, I don't know. There's something about this image that I, I can see us using for the business or the brewery going forward in some, some way, that's cool. whether that's on a sweatshirt or I don't know, we'll see, but I love it.
3: Yeah. Can- can you talk uh, to the the art uh, the 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 different? Do you always use the same artist? Is it a group of artists? Is it one person? Um, you yeah, no, talk no about I love that talking about it.
1: it's, No, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So, um, I work with one artist, um, somebody I've known for a long time, who's actually uh, very good friends with my younger brother growing up. <laughs> And um, him and I, it, it's been a very interesting relationship. Um, before Tooth & Nail opened, I was kind of canvassing the ground, trying to think of who would do the art. I didn't even know what it would look like. And so, you know, we met up a couple of times and he would approach things from the point of view of like, don't worry about how this is going to look just yet. Let's talk about like, what do you what do you like about brewing? What is it that drives you? What's your creative process? What, what's your vision mm-hmm. for this this brewery and the beers you make, but also the company, you know, and we both kind of came up with this, this concept over two or three days that like we were both very, very inspired by classic things. Um, and using the word classic in terms of meaning, like would be relevant a hundred years ago and will still be relevant a hundred years from now. So timeless classic images, timeless, classic, um, visuals, um, emotions, values, all these things, because to me, you know, starting this brewery was like, well, if my kids want to take it over one day, I hope they do, you know, and um, I'd love tooth nails around in a hundred years from now. So that was, right. that was the basis for which we started. And then um, when, you know, we, we opened the brewery, and we just kind of had some generic labels with some fonts and stuff. I said, okay, well, we didn't want to give the brewery itself a proper, logo with an icon or anything because we didn't know how this thing lived and breathed yet and it would be weird to pigeonhole yourself with an image when all of a sudden you're you're something really different you know what i mean and so the idea was to work with with typeface and fonts and and colors and imagery and that's how we came up with the logo and then when it came to the cans you know he was going to potentially solicit various tattoo artists to do woodcut kind of images And the woodcut images were kind of inspired by the way our pub looks. It's like a hundred-year-old building with big beams and steel beams and, and wooden slats and things like that. And then he just threw me a couple of ideas one day. There was an idea for bravado and for valor and for discretion. And I looked at this artwork and I was just like, I'm pretty sure deep in my mind I knew that this is exactly everything I wanted this brand to look like. And so I said, "Can we actually use those?" You know, and he was like, "Yeah, totally." I said, "Well, well you know, do you have time? Do you want to do you want to take this on?" And he loved doing them. So he was like, "Yeah, let's see where this goes." And that's just kind of the story of it. And um, it's really interesting it's when awesome. I come up with a beer now, I literally will give him everything. I'll be like, "Okay." This is why I was inspired to brew this beer. This is the color of the beer, the bitterness, the sweetness, the the body, the alcohol. This is why I gave the beer this name because the name will tie into the beer somehow. This is the whole concept. go for it. And he, he comes back with things that are like so beyond what I would imagine. Um, and like he nails it every time. Like I you know, I'll usually give him an idea. I'll be like, oh, I was thinking this and this, and he'll be like, Know pump the brakes there, Sabe. You don't, uh, <laughs> don't. You know, I believe he called one of my drawings naive one time, and I pretty much just. Wow, uh,
2: wow! He's like wow. stick
1: stick to the beer. Yeah, but we have such an awesome relationship. We're working on kind of a a new project right now. I'm pretty excited about, and um, he he just you know he's he's a really busy guy. He he has a very very intense job. And yet he's a full on artist and graphic designer. And so this is his like outlet and he loves it. So
3: that's amazing. We did an
1: art show actually one day where there was the whole development of the logo, the development of the can look, the development of the pictures, all in these sequenced kind of uh, books that we laid out on the table and all the artwork on the wall it was super, super cool. Cause there actually is like a really mega long, well thought out story that
3: goes with it. So yeah, Did I, you I share those them. on social media? Um,
1: I'm not sure. Maybe Cuz it sounds like what you're saying maybe, sounds maybe familiar, stippets. but
3: maybe I'm make, maybe like your description is making me create it in my mind, but it didn't yeah. happen, but it almost <laughs> sounds like I feel like I saw it. Yeah, maybe. And yes, Tiff, I am selling you on cats. Yes.
0: She's already sold. We considered getting a cat. We were talking no during the thing. We wanted to get a cat cat person. Yeah, we're both cat and dog people, but we were like, "Well, we have a small apartment in the city. It's kind of mean to get a dog." and We back, you know, in the before time. Thank
1: God you said that. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Yeah, like
0: they're like it just doesn't make it's not nice for a dog, right? And we traveled a lot, like in the before times. So I'm like. Yeah, that's why I was hesitant to. We, we would try to adopt one, you know, foster one. Do you like the adopt the fostering thing, and, and they was so popular you couldn't get anything. This would probably be like early on April May last year, I imagine, and we couldn't get it. But Noah was going to share some resources because we wanted to captain shit. I don't want my like, fucking pet hair over like, my stuff. But we've just got too much crap in the house. We're looking. I'm just looking around, and like, there's so many places for it to hide and get stuck and to chew on cables. I'm like, it's not that kind of party around here, mate. Like, you
3: know. Yeah, you don't really need to worry about that with cats. But anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Hold
0: on, say, okay. <laughs> Um, so this beer is great. So this is 7.5 percent. Um, definitely, you know, going from a 5.4, I think it was, to now 7.5. You can feel the difference in the, the mouth, feels a little roastier. The sweetness is ramped up a touch because that one is very dry. The oven starts super dry. This is still quite dry. Um, what else am I missing? Get, get a lot of chocolate. I feel like I can get a touch of coffee in this one too, potentially.
1: You'd be getting the coffee. I mean, The first thing that I get on the nose is the coffee. Mm. You know, there is coffee in this. Oh, there is. Okay. Um, oh, love it. Yeah, well, the next beer that we're having, Fortified, is brewed with coffee and chocolate. So when you mix the two, you're getting a little bit of both worlds, right? So you'll see, you know, now that you, you're pulling out a little more coffee and chocolate out of this, you get into the Imperial Stout and it becomes really quite prominent. And then you go into the bourbon and then that's a, a whole different story. That's a series. Um, for... For, yeah.
0: yeah, go, 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 please. Oh, well, no, no, just... go ahead. I was just looking at the, um, I know this is just my analness because I still do the reviews, obviously, hence the stupid photos. Um, I've had Fortified before, so my untapped tells me, uh, back in 2018. And is there it's a different okay. variant? Because I noticed it on the Fortissimo, which we're going to have at the end, there's a Fortissimo 2020, which is here, but I guess the Fortified is the same. Like it's not technically like a an annual beer where we have the the year next to it for such. I mean, we've
1: never really put the beer the year on that beer. We 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 have brewed it annually, but like not scheduled at at the same time. It's nice to have it out before Christmas. I think the hard thing about Fortissimo is, you know, and I'll talk about it a little more when we drink it. But I don't do a lot of uh, contact time with the barrel for that beer. Okay, and so. Um, it's pretty tough in the middle of the summer rush to be brewing an imperial stout that's going to be released, you know, in December. And so the problem is, is that it always gets brewed like November, like uh, end of September or something like that. And then by the time Fortissimo's ready, it's like March. Well, if you have a nice warm March, it's not like barrel birth- aged stouts are flying off the shelf as the, the, the weather's getting warmer. And um And so the timing of it's always been a little bit of a a challenge Uh, this year. I think we're going to do a little bit better. I actually will be putting the beer into bourbon barrels next week. Um, And so we may look at kind of timing it a little bit differently that way, because we'll be able to release that beer in the fall, which I think is pretty ideal. Um, Yeah. But yeah, the, we, the Fortissimo 2020 that you see in the can, it was also on the bottle last year, um, That's the first time we put a date
0: on any of them. Okay. cool. I was actually going to ask about that because once again, I don't want to keep bringing up the old shit, but when I was watching the clips, I was looking at the B-roll of your fridge that I remember taking. And there was definitely a bottle, you know, there were more bottles than cans at the time. And now it seems like you've gone kind of more to the short cans, which I love. I love that you do short cans. I'm such a huge fan of them. I very rarely would need more than the 330 or whatever it is. Of any given, mm-hmm. you know, I could drink a thousand of the pills if you need to, but if you only just want one of them, 11.9, 11.9% stouts, um, you know, uh, you know, and it, that's all you really need. So I really appreciate that. So like, what was the deal with the packaging? When did you guys move? Why? When or why did you guys move up to the... Uh,
1: Okay. well i'm not sure what you would have seen bottles wise at that time we we've actually we've only done a few like we've always like from day one we were doing 12 ounce cans Interesting. um so you may have been there during a time because i think strife was out then and probably some truce yes. left over from the winter and maybe even a fortissimo at that point so like we do run into situations during a year where we may have three bottles in the fridge um bottling during the pandemic's been very very not happening because um just the nature of the bottle filler we have is very slow and without all the labor that we needed to do it it just made more sense to can some of our bottled stuff um from a labor and time perspective
2: right
1: um but the short cans from day one even before i opened the brewery i said i'm doing short cans i i just it's just something i much prefer um I don't always necessarily want a large one. And uh, you know, Ottawa is a pretty big outdoor city. Um, lots of people skiing, hiking, camping, cycling, all these things and and drinking beer from the can in you know outdoor settings. And if you've got an eight and a half percent double IPA that somebody's drinking on a 30 degree day after cycling or whatever, and, and yes, that does happen. Um, then, you know, by the bottom of that can, things are na- tasting pretty nasty. So it's it's kind of nice to to just have the small can for the outdoor recreation purposes, the ease of, of transport, um, and just serving size. I mean, it's nice to, you know, people like trying a lot of different beers in a setting. And so it just gives that opportunity. But it was always, it was never a question. I was going with 12-ounce cans. And at the time, too, like we've seen canned shortages in the last couple of years that are a little scary for brewers, but at the time there were canned shortages as well. But you were, you know, the conscious decision to go with 12 ounces, like nobody uses them. So they're not going to run out of them right now. Now lots of people use them and, and we did run into some shortages in the last couple of years. But um, yeah. at the end of the day, if, if it's something that I like it as a consumer, that's probably what we're going to end up selling.
0: I love that. I think that's important. Whenever the, uh, the owner slash brewer, the person in charge, is making those types of decisions about the shit that they like, whether it's the beers themselves, which obviously is extraordinarily important because if the brewer is having to, like, find or make this because the people want it, like, ah, doesn't doesn't always turn out the greatest. I think it's the brewers who make what they want, and then that's even cool. I never really thought about um, the value of having, you know, you being into shortcuts, I think it's super dope. Even Jeff Lopez right here saying, "Long live the shortcuts!" Oh
3: yeah, man! <laughs> <laughs> Wicked.
1: they just just. Like, uh, yeah, no. Jeff, I mean, I've always been Jeff a consumer works. as well, right? Yeah.
3: Jeff works at the company that you buy your printing from, I believe.
2: It's so a Montreal-based uh, company, I'm not.
3: perhaps. Like printing yeah. for labels. I could be wrong. Yeah. Our labels come like from Saga, Dol- so it would be. Oh, maybe I've mistaken yeah. that. Please in, enlighten us, Jeff, if that's the key, not the yeah. case. Oh, hi, but Jeff.
2: Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> hey, Jeff.
0: Thanks for coming through. But it's super cool. I feel like it's really become synonymous with your brand. They're just so iconic. Like you can just you know see them from a mile away, um, which is super dope. One random question. Oh, here you go. He said he works for... Uh, Solucan.
1: Solucan, yeah. So our Vim and Vigor cans are coming from Solucan now. Yeah. Nice. There you uh, go. And great. hopefully more brands coming into the summer. Yeah. Awesome. That's great.
0: Have you ever had beers in the LCBO in the past? No. Any particular reason why not? Because your good mates at Dominion had the same thing and they were pretty against it. Um, um
1: I I definitely have have been against it in the past. I don't know how against it I am right now, but I'm hoping that the world goes back to, you know, some semblance of what it was of what it was. And and there's no way we would be able to keep up with a supply in that case. And I don't want to enter the LCBO and then get kicked out because, you know, two weeks in a row I was out of a beer that I was selling them and all this stuff. And, and um, I, I, you know, most brewers would tell you the same thing. You know, there's a degree of which I'm a bit of a control freak. And when you start giving the control to somebody else, that's, it's a scary thing for sure. Um, I, I think that there are some people um, you know, Bellwoods, for example, um, some other, you know, of my peers that have started selling the LCBO and they've had an absolutely wonderful experience with it. And I think that through those, um anecdotes you know I'd probably be more open to it um it, it it would be nice to get the beer a little further out sometimes but uh at the same time you know we're, we're in normal times like we're, we're pretty busy we're selling the stuff we make so finding another avenue and and to be honest with you I'd be far more interested in a curated local store that curates a great selection of beer that where the person selling it is very educated on my brand and everybody else's and, and can really give the customer a great experience. I mean, for 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 Dana and I, the customer experience trumps everything. And when we fuck that up, we, we take it pretty hard on ourselves too. Um, so, I mean, the product is important. The experience is equally as important, if not more important. So by keeping those things under our own control for the time being, it just feels a little more genuine. It feels a little more... Um, uh, manageable, I guess you could say.
0: That makes sense. Josh uh, Josh and Scott were saying that they liked not having that external pressure to deliver specific brands over and over at a certain volume because that would have stopped their creativity as far as what they would have on their production schedule really when it comes down to it. Like, I agree 100%. Uh, yeah,
2: Because
0: we can't do this yeah. and this now because we have to do a triple batch of this because the LCBO needs it. Um, With that in mind...
1: And it might not happen all the time, but it will happen.
0: Right. Oh, exactly right. And that's, that's, I can imagine, I very much aligned with that sort of like stifling nature of of what that means. Although, excuse me, the brand awareness of having it in an LCBO, obviously you're not really doing it for the money. It's more like getting people aware of it. And if somebody in Toronto is drinking... A beer of yours that they found in the LCBO, luckily for you guys in Ontario, you have the um, the, you know, the online delivery so people could just order and buy. Oh, yeah. You know, that would inspire them like, wow, this beer is fantastic. Oh, they've got like 10 more. Like, let me go get them. You know, whatever. So that's what the point of that customer journey would be. Um, with that all in mind, yeah. hypothetically speaking, if you would or could easily put a beer in the LCBO, which one of your beers do you think you would put
1: Um, well, I mean, what I would choose and what would make sense would be two different things, probably. Um, (laughs) How about the both ends? You know, I would, it would, it would, would, I'd, I'd be a total idiot for it not to be Vim and Vigor. Right. Um, you know, I think Rabble Rouser IPA would be interesting for most people don't get to try that one. It's probably, you know, right up there with Vim and Vigor as far as sales go at our place. Um, most people aren't, aren't really used to that kind of an IPA, which is, you know, you've almost got New England flavors there with a really lean and crisp body. Um, I think that people are initially kind of surprised that that beer doesn't have boatloads of haze in it. Um, that would be a fun one to do. But I mean, I, I, I mean, one beer we probably could do because it doesn't sell as well as I would like is Valor. And, and I mean, Vim and Vigor and Valor to me are my two favorites. Um, yeah so I'd love to get Valor in a cork and caged bottle in the LCBO bottle condition to like you know four volumes of CO2 and that, that would be that would be like a self-fulfilling <laughs> prophecy if, in some kind of ways yeah. there but uh, that makes sense
3: and yeah. I guess like not, not having an IPA means you know if it sits there for a few months you're not worried as much about it as long as it's stored oh, no, well Valor and cold for a year and, exactly oh, yeah exactly. I mean all beers are
1: going to lose some form of vibrancy over time, but at the same time, I mean, it holds it holds up very, very well. Yeah,
0: then that, that would be one concern. Like every time I go to Ontario, um, we always hit any LCBO, and I always find that it doesn't matter where, you know, whether it's on the trip, on the drive up, or whatever. There's always, I feel like there's, unless are a store that has the walk-in fridge, there's always mishandling of. Styles that you know, like I'm basically New England IPAs on shelves. I see it all the time. It's disgraceful, and I, I feel like sometimes I'm not a snitch, but sometimes I feel like I'm taking a picture and sending it to the brewery. Like, look at these motherfuckers! What they're doing this shit here? Because I might have considered buying that beer, and I know better not to do that now because I'm checking candidates and some of them are six, eight months old for haze that I've seen you know, mm-hmm. and stuff and. You know but I mean, I mean
1: you mean. must be shopping at good depeneurs then because if you go to a lot of depeneurs in Quebec you're you're looking at like some seriously old beers in certain places too.
3: Yeah, that that was the point I was just going to make is that yeah, um, problem, when you go to, when you go to the LCBO you're almost lucky uh, a lot of them now have those walk-in fridges but yeah like most Dep's in in Montreal like I think it's improving but yeah you you see these shelf turds like a year old IPA sitting <laughs> in the shelf warm. So really? And it, yeah, I feel for the owners and I feel for the situation. It, it, I, I don't have a solution for it. Like they can't afford to just buy all this crazy refrigeration gear, but at the same time, they're just not representing the products properly. So I don't, yeah, again, I don't have a solution for it. I don't know what the solution is, but it's, it's not good being, someone like mm-hmm. us, we just know, right? We walk in, we're like, I ain't touching That's that. Right. Yeah, <laughs> um, like, I'm yeah, going into yeah. the fridge in the back yeah. and I'm looking at the, the dates. That's right. um, but like for your everyday, even, even people who are somewhat knowledgeable yeah. might not even know that, right? Like you almost have to be like so into the scene that you just get it and then you know what to buy and what not to buy. But yeah, like so many, and it does a disservice to the industry too, right? Because like you have this, new person to to beer that walks in spends seven dollars on this ipa that's been sitting there for six months they bring it home they try it it's complete garbage and they're like well back to bud because this was a waste of my fucking time it's true um it's so true. It's, it's, yeah awful. it's and, challenging and, you know back to C's
1: point when he's talking with scott and josh and they're talking about you know LCBO and stuff like that. Remaining, remaining small as a producer has its pros and cons, obviously, but one of the pros is you can actually be a little bit picky as to who sells your beer. And you know we spent the first couple of years, maybe not rightfully so, but like I started out at one point where I was I wouldn't sell cans to a licensee because i was like well you buy you know 96 cans of this beer and then my instagram pops up one day and someone's reviewing a beer that i know i haven't made a i haven't sold you anything in a year and now you're you're selling this beer like so it got to the point where i I wasn't saying no to people but i was like i'll sell you a two four at a time and when that's out I'll bring you another one, but don't, don't stockpile any of this because there'll be three Mm -hmm. or four batches by the time you, you sell all of this, that could have been fresh. Now, you know, I think I've loosened up a little bit with that, that, that concept to a degree, but we're still very much like, you know, you want to put my beer on top, like I'm probably going to go drink at your bar before I say yes and make sure that the beers taste clean and that your lines are clean. And that, you know, with, with we're, we're fortunate in the sense that we don't have a ton of extra beer and the beer that we have is sold by some pretty high profile beer bars that I trust and know and they're friends. And I know that they're taking care of everything and I know that their staff can talk to a customer about my product and, and all this stuff. But as you grow bigger and bigger, you, you, you have to loosen the reins on those controls. And that's where things can get scary because you're right. Noah. I mean, not everybody drinks craft beer and everyone's going to try one. And if the first five they taste are are terrible, they're going to be like, you know what? I I can rely on bud tasting the same every time I have it. I'm just going to go back to that. Um, so that's, that's that's the scary part for us. (laughs) It's so much cheaper.
2: (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah, not much. Had to. Uh, we did a um uh, a challenge video the other day where it was called Truth or Drink, and it was kind of like a riff off that Truth or Dab from um, the fucking what's it called? What's the thing called Hot Ones? So we did a Hot Ones edition recently. Oh, okay. And then we did um, the Truth or Drink. So Tiff and I did that, and the whole point was that it had to have been um you know he, they asked some hard questions he was like we haven't posted it yet but it was something like uh, who was the most annoying guest you've had on the podcast You're like obviously i'm not going to say so you drink so i had to buy some macro beers to you know as a uh incentive punishment. Born, as a punishment so we <laughs> bought bud bud light yeah. and Coors banquet and i was genuinely ex- I don't know if excited was the word but curious to try it because you know my new uh, love for crispies and like appreciation i was like, ah. I've heard for some brewers that I very, very much respect say that if you go to St. Louis and you go to the Budweiser facility, like having the stuff like fresh is a revelation. It's incredibly incredible. So, oh, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready. Oh, fuck. Honestly, it was like vomiting, juicing. I couldn't believe how bad it was. Like, sticky, multi corn, light, nothing messes. It was just so gross. So it always kind of like bubbles my mind that people would go
1: back i think once you once you cross over to craft beer nobody goes back once right. you take that leap once you develop that 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 taste once you and and the good thing is is a lot of the younger generation isn't even starting with a bug you know so i think there's a lot yeah, of hope exactly. there but
2: yeah
0: that's
3: I, a good point too i, I hear I think to
0: of that Do either of you got like I guess I only brought it kind of up because of what well, we're just talking about people like being like, oh, buds easier because it's more reliable, like maybe, but like I find there's some craft beer friends or friends who like, like Scott, like my ex co-host, like good friend. I talk to him every single day, his huge friend. He just got busy with life and had kids and married and had time for, uh, you know, a petty beer podcast, but uh-huh. you know, I don't think not necessarily him, but his mates, they are craft drinkers, but they would definitely, you know, if they were in a situation or instead of stocking up on something else, they would still get, you know, macro stuff. But they would, you know, I would share beers with them back when you could share beers with people and they would love the craft stuff as well. So I feel like there's still some people who are kind of straddling that line. Like I won't, I'm too much of a coffee snob. I only drink third wave, you know, fancy single origin coffee and shit. I'm not going to, you're not going to find me a Tim Hortons or whatever a second couple, Starbucks. I can't, I just, i but I can't do it. It makes it disgusting, and same as Budweiser and like a macro. So, I wonder, I think some people don't mind straddling the line and can, like, uh, you know, the caffeine's more important than the quality, so they'll still go and get its importance. Like, oh, um,
3: I think it depends on the product, I think you're right, and how, how much you're invested you are, like. I can't do Tim Hortons, and I, I like you. I, I very much enjoyed their wave coffee. And when I have the the funds, I buy high end stuff. But I can also kind of get by on okay coffee. It doesn't. Whereas, in with beer, it's different. And I think, I think everyone has their thing. It's like how invested you are in that product or or whatever. Like I, I really, I, I used to be kind of a foodie less so since I had kids just changed everything, but I can still eat craft dinner and I still go to McDonald's. (laughs) Um, and I actually enjoy those two things, but I don't enjoy drinking moose head or like, I just won't. It's not that I, 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 yeah, I just don't like it. I, I, I would just, I would, I would just not drink beer at that point or, or I would drink gin or something else. Like it's just not for me. Yeah.
0: I think it'd be the same phone to a wedding and that's all they had or something. Thank fuck for yeah, I trick, have to go to weddings trick, every day. But like, <laughs> if, <laughs> I can't stand them. But like, like gin is thing. my wedding drink. Yeah, man. Gin is the move. Like, yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, I, and I think you're right because I used to actually would, when we used to drive to Toronto, I was, um, scummy and would drink like worst case if i had to i wanted a coffee so bad In worst case i'd get tim hortons and tiff would be like what are you doing no it's pretty bad yeah i was i was a piece of shit for a little while and then i caught up and now i'm like uber snob um speaking of that should we go to the next one Maddie? let's do
1: it So so i uh, have fortified
0: yeah fortified yeah so fortified is now that was the um blend with the first one, Fortitude to make fornication, which I love. Now I'm really out of what's going on.
3: It's, so it's just uh hitting me now, but it would have been really interesting to just take three glasses and put them against each other and just see
0: Yeah. how have like, got like got measure against each other. I got a bit of H here as well. Once so you
1: I'm
0: gonna try. Well, yeah, go on, man.
1: Once you get uh once you get into this one, it'll make the first one tastes pretty pretty light, pretty watery. Watery. Yeah, so
3: this is
0: 9.5. So I have had this before. This was coffee and chocolate. Okay. Glorious. Ooh. Look at this. This is a Stout Stripe again, sorry.
3: I remember when you first dropped that beer, uh, and I was fortunate enough to try it. It just, it rang, it, it, it rang to me like it was, it was very pache-like.
2: Oh, yeah. And I don't remember yeah, if I you you
3: this at the time or it, it, it was that an inspiration at all, or were you just trying to do your own thing or, cause I know you have a, I a, mean, a love for, you know.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, Pichet, um, I mean, somewhere in there it's, it's inspired by, I mean, whether that was a conscious decision or not. I mean, I've got so many incredible memories of sitting in that brew pub, you know, cradling way too many glasses of this most perfect (laughs) beer I'd ever had and so for sure that's it's got to be in there somewhere wasn't an attempt to make that beer for myself no I mean I I have attempted to make certain beers selfishly that other breweries make for myself like we did uh, hop hugs in December this year which was uh, me trying to make a Sierra Nevada celebration ale because I couldn't go to the States for the first year and buy some because I, we just have it every Christmas. And so I was like, well, I've got all these whole cone hops, you know, that I'm trying to find a use for let's, let's try to actually recreate that beer. And this was not like that. I mean, this was, this was taking fortitude and trying to amplify it. Um, but, um, but for sure there'd be, I mean, it's impossible. Like your, your, your big inspirations are always going to come through, uh, and the things that you make. So,
2: the whole um,
1: but yeah, I interestingly enough, never it's had right had now. Either now. Either oh no. Oh, I love
3: it. No, I've, but, I've, I've watched um, it, it from afar for so long, but I never had a chance to try it. That'll yeah, be a huge
1: letdown
0: now. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> gone too far, right? It's like an old school beer. It's gone too
1: far. That's it. Yeah. yeah.
0: Was, um, this is a really dumb question and became a bit of an in-joke, but was Hop Hugs a copper IPA? Was it like a copper kind of color? Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely in a okay. copper kind of darker red color. Wow. Okay. So actually. it was like, <laughs> it
0: was like, I remember Nate, cause Nate got obviously Nate's in Ottawa and he, um,
1: oh yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: You know, he, he, uh, he loves it. Um, he, sorry, let me fix my camera. The camera, bat, uh, camera battery died. Um, he got it and he posted a picture of it. And I know I, I was just being a smartass because, like, I knew it was your beer. I was like, yeah, well, Maddie's the fucking champion. Everything's going to be fire. But I'm like, oh, who wants a fucking copper beer? Who drinks copper beers? And like the you know, team copper beer became like a thing. And it was just we just gave nice. a shit about like <laughs> copper beers because it just reminded <laughs> so me of need- like,
1: hey. Now I'm making a copper IPA for sure.
0: Yeah, you have to do it, honestly. And I'd love to collaborate on that and make it as copper old school. (laughs) I want no no haze, crystal clear, just like 1997 UK Fuggle Hops, maybe some Golding, East Kent, you know, like as yawn as possible as as for the old boy in an English pub.
1: For the old boys. Well, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, and you're talking about Celebration Ale, which is from the 1980s, right? Like yeah, it was yeah. one of the, along with Liberty Ale, you're talking about the first IPAs produced yeah. in the United States. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they have held true to that concept. And I mean, I was trying to recreate that beer. So for sure, I mean, I what do we call it? I called it um, Whole Cone Hop Hugs Classic American IPA, but I was going to call it Old School IPA. I mean, there's It was intentional for sure.
0: Right. Are you tame?
1: But you'd be surprised at how some of those, those (laughs) malt flavors actually can very much accentuate the hop flavors, right? Like we've gone, we've gone completely the other side now where if you throw any colored malts in an IPA, you're an idiot, but there's some sweetness that comes from those things. If used properly, that can make your hops taste absolutely delicious. But, uh, it's the beers. Don't beers. Don't, uh, They don't sit on the shelf very well. Unfortunately, they fall apart pretty fast.
0: Yeah, I imagine, particularly with the whole cone hops as well, and they're very like extraordinarily seasonal.
1: They're they're delicate, and I mean, we're we're actually consciously moving a number of beers over to a whole cone format. Um, Yeah, I, I I really like. There's there's some nuance there that is is very very different from pelletized hops um they're tricky to work with um but i'm you know i'm putting together hopefully uh, the ability to to put a a good chunk of whole cone hops into vim and vigor uh, i'm working with a farmer in the hollow region of germany which is pretty pretty special and we've got a great relationship going and i just asked him you know do you do you pelletize everything you do and he said yeah and i said, well. Would you not pelletize some hops for me? And he was like so excited because like nobody asks for that. Mm. Um, so you know, and I've, I've maybe got some check saws coming that are in whole cone format, and then we're gonna pursue the hop hugs thing a little bit more. So um, tenacity, our pale is now using about uh, what would be uh, not a hundred percent whole cone, but but getting pretty close. So you know, it's another thing that that can make our beers taste a little more unique. And super fun to explore.
3: Um, Tr- tricky, So but. pardon my ing- ignorance on that, but do you mind breaking that down a little further? Like, I th- I, I guess I was maybe had a misconception about why we pellet- uh Is it pelletized? Pelletized oh, really. hops? I, I always assumed it yeah. was because they were so perishable that you kind of needed to process them quickly. Otherwise they spoil or whatever. But... If what you're so, so are you saying like what do they do? They just dry them or do they freeze them or like how does that work?
1: So, hops, um, there's a common misconception that when if I'm using a term like whole cone hops or leaf hops, that they're like wet off the vine, okay, and that's 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 a wet hopped beer. I mean, that's a whole different thing. So, when hops are taken off the vine during harvest. They are kiln-dried to a certain degree of moisture, and then they, they, they pack them into these massive bales, right? They're like 60-kilogram bales of like compressed-leaf, whole-cone hops. And then, generally, the majority of those, these days in modern times, will then get processed through a pelletizer. So that pelletizer there, there are a couple of things there that are that are beneficial and some that aren't, but uh, the storageability of those hops is definitely better. Uh, they will store better. Right. Uh, a you know 20 kilogram bale of whole cone hops is really quite big, whereas a 20 kilogram box of pelletized hops is you know, something like that. And so the storage of that becomes a a very big factor because if you're using all whole cone hops, you need like, you know, a building the size of my brewery just to house the hops because they're that much bigger. Um, Also, when, when you have a pelletized hop, it's run through the pelletizing process. So the lupulin glands have been ruptured, which then allows those oils to extract easier potentially. And if you're dry hopping with something like that and it's pelletized properly, it will hit the beer at the top of the tank and disperse very quickly. Um, So there are advantages to both. Um, My experience so far is that the whole cone top hops taste different. Um, I could take, you know, uh, Amarillo whole cone, Amarillo pellets. There's a different flavor there. And some of the flavors that I've been experiencing with the whole cone ones are are just unlike anything else. And they're, they're more, you get a very saturated hop flavor that has a ton of, of, of delicate features. And that seems very, very, you know, counterintuitive, but um, so far I like what, what I've gotten from them. Um, But most brewers aren't asking for them. So they're very, they're not really being produced very much. Um, so it's taken a little while to kind of,
3: kind of find them and, and get a hold of them and stuff. Do they? Um, and again, I don't know a lot about this stuff. But when we were talking to the guys at uh, Third Moon and stuff, they were talking about the different new new products that exist, right? Like whether it's mm-hmm. uh, um, incognito uh, extracts or, or yeah, all that, all that kind of stuff. And what they were ex- explaining is that these newer products um what they allow for is less like vegetal components and certain flavors that they might not be looking for um do you so like can you describe at all the difference like or like is there a particular component about the non-pelletized hops that comes out or is it just like it just tastes different or is it like they're earthier or is like, there a, like there's
1: like definitely almost like um almost like a leafy component that you get and it's not leafy okay. i mean you can you can certainly extract a lot of vegetable flavors from a whole cone hop you can do the same with pellets and you know pellets are t90s and now they make cryo hops which are like removing even more right. of that material and then you get extracts and i mean we use everything to and now you know like, I don't care what ingredients you use. I care what the beer tastes like at the end. How you get from A exactly. to B, it's not my business. And right, I'm not a purist from that point of view. You know, we use extracts. I use tons of sugar in, in many of my beers. I use, you know, different adjuncts here and there, um, hop extracts, whole leaf hops, pelletized hops, cryo hops, T45 pellets. Like, um, as long as you're using it for a purpose, it's fine. Um, some of the beers that we would be using the whole cone hops and like the IPA is pushing it a little bit. Um, I think that the dry hopping that was done on hop hugs, uh, with the whole leaf hops was, uh, almost started to go to the vegetal stage, like almost just a little too leafy. So if I brew it again, I'm going to pull back on the dry hops and actually just try and add more on the hot side. Because you can still get a great deal of oils out on the hop side. You know, whether you're adding hops in a whirlpool, in a hop back, uh, on the cold side, uh, in the bright tank, whatever, you're always extracting a different flavor. So if I, if you know, I, I I pack the hop back full of whole cone hops and run the beer through that on the way to the fermenter. Well, that, that gives me a different flavor than if I took those same hops and added it to my boil at the end of the boil. It gives me a different character than that same amount of hops on the cold side at whatever temperature I'm dry hopping at. So the fun is to try and extract these little nuances from your different parts of the process. Um, yeah. That's so, amazing. you know, I I think it's really just something we're going to explore and play around with and something I'm pretty inspired by right now. Um, there's not a lot of people doing it. I think that you'll, you know, I don't know what they're going to come up with after incognito, but it might be the same thing as, as you, you have with beers, right? Like, like all of a sudden, maybe people are going to go back to whole cone hops because they've already explored every other Avenue. I have no idea, but I'm certainly pretty excited to explore it. They're a total bitch to brew with because our equipment now is designed for pelletized hops. It's not designed for throwing a bunch of flowers into your kettle. So the labor aspect of it is a little more intense, and you know it, it makes for a longer day. Um, but it's like, why the hell not? I don't know.
3: Well, I've enjoyed the beers be, we've done. Like getting excited to, uh, to, to to try what you're doing. I
0: what
3: want to be able it? to like yeah. check out the different yeah, flavors, the man.
0: I was going to ask that to so say for Vimaviga because that's such a special beer. Thank like, you. As it is. Um, if you do introduce these whole cone hops, would it be a special edition of Vim and Vigor or would it just kind of be become what it is, like what it is now? No,
1: I don't I don't think, you know, the special edition Vim and Vigor, like maybe we'll do that again sometime for a 10th anniversary or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, no, I think I would just gradually kind of gradually bring them in into the process a little okay. bit at a time, Makes evaluate sense. that a little bit. There are things... As brewers, like, you know, like, that that's my baby. So, like, I, I i know every little tiny thing that is different from the previous batch that most people are never really going to recognize. And so I'd be able to bring them in slowly and see what effect that has and bring them in a little bit more until we get, you know, I have a goal for how much I want to use because of where I'm going to use those hops in the process. And so I'll probably start with a third of that and then maybe try two-thirds of that and hopefully get to 100%. But it's a bit of a gamble because if this guy's doing this for me, like I kind of, <laughs> I got to purchase those <laughs> and then I got yeah, to use So them. If, it's, if it's not going to work out, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in trouble. Um, it's a dice I, I, I mean, I, I calculate these, these, uh, these ideas, you know, so I'm not, I'm not really worried about it. I think it'll, okay. I think it'll be very, very cool. And it's not one hundred percent that it's all going to work out either, but that's that's the goal at the moment.
0: If anyone can do it, it's you, sir. It really is. Yeah, man. Um, I don't know if I really talked about this beer. This is like fantastic, and I just did while we were talking. Just like a, I've still got just a little touch of each of them left. So I was trying the fortitude, the fornication, and then this, and you can really see that. Like, just it's almost like a slow build. It's like almost like two percent, five. It's like five, four, seven, five, nine, five. It's around that two percent ramp up each time and I'm like, okay, I can see the the difference
3: between these beers. Pick your buzz.
0: Yeah, basically <laughs> pick your buzz. And Noah, you nailed it. And this the coffee
3: is, too is huge.
0: This is so peche in the best possible way. I, I genuinely appreciate that because yeah. It's coming up to Peche Day actually.
3: Do you know they're not doing
0: the they're not doing the obviously not the event, but they're not making any of the other beers this year. They're not even doing the four pack Yeah, oh, that's
3: actually what we were talking about. about. And yeah. this is just going to be uh bourbon this year. Yeah. Which, I was pretty devastated okay last it. year because
1: last year was the first year. Like we, we, um, we were going to host it at tooth and nail in Ottawa. So we were oh. going to be the Ottawa destination. And it was the first year we were going to do it. And it was just so amazing to be accepted into that, you know, group of brewers that were offering it and uh, beer bars and things like that. And then like, shit Didn't it's the worst out, but man, um, you know, it's one
0: of my yeah. favorite days of the year I, I, i'd like, imagine
1: next year they'll get it back on i
0: would
1: think. i feel like yeah. i remember
0: when they changed it because i'm actually like four blocks away less than to the to the blue to stuff there and um all right very convenient yeah it's how you choose where you live and um so we always went every year even la- not last year, the year before we went to the brunch in saint <laughs> jerome Even bothered to go out there for that whole brunch where they actually served every single one, like in small tasters, two, three ounces, whatever it was through the food. It was exceptional. It's just, it's the greatest. Um, What was my motherfucking point? Oh, yeah. And I remember it was like about this time last year and they had it booked in. And then they're like, oh, it's okay. It's going to be like April 25th. Like, oh, guys, I don't know. This lockdown seemed a little little real. And here we uh,
2: are.
1: 12 months later. We went through all of that. Yeah. We ended up selling our Peche beers in September and on our patio. So the only thing we had open was this patio, but our patio because of distancing rules, like we can put 12 bums out there. So it's not exactly great. Right. So then I've got all these like insanely elaborate, expensive and really cool kegs of Imperial stout I'm sitting on. So we called it like Peche Weeks. So we knew it would probably be, with, with the volume of people we could bring through on our patio, which was very much nothing. We figured it would take about two weeks to go through all six. And it literally to the day took two weeks to go through all six. Okay. So you got, through. but it was cool. People got to try them and uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to actually get, you know, I don't like to say the word, get rid of them, but I didn't really want to sit on those beers for much longer. Um, yeah. You know, in terms of draft kegs and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, um, but it was fun yeah yeah the beers were great man had uh, the mexican chocolate one i thought was was pretty oh, pretty man. cool was yeah.
3: that it was one the, of the best was they've the done pack,
0: was it? that was that in the pack yeah the was, the it was it was in be. last yeah. year's pack okay
3: I yeah. Yeah. it's, it's really, it was, freaking it good great
1: side. okay oh and the single origin one i loved as well i mean the bourbons, the bourbons yeah bourbon that was, was obviously too. fantastic yeah. but the single origin i loved yeah it's super. so yeah hopefully uh Put that back together soon enough.
0: Yeah, right. Have you ever done anything like that with any of these Stout series? Because I kind of feel like these are ripe for some sort of creative...
1: Just variants, yeah. I mean, you know, they're all afterthoughts, unfortunately. Like, it's always, like, you know, running around, like, just trying to, like get all the beers done, get a, you know, make sure everybody's doing okay. Make sure all the beers are tasting good. And then, you know, we'll release the stouts or something and go, shit, we should have done this. We should have done this. Why didn't we think of this? And right before the pandemic, we bought a pilot brewing system. That's pretty fun. Like it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good pilot brewing system. And we, we had this idea because we're not known for IPAs. Um, so the idea was let's buy this pilot brewing system and let's release a brand new IPA every week in the pub. So it can be anything, session IPA, Belgian, English, like whatever you fruited, you know, it doesn't matter. Uh, it was going to give us our, our, you know, opportunity to fly the freak flag and, and have a lot of fun with it. And so we we're going to do IPA day every Tuesday or Thursday or something. And we're probably going to fill about 30 crawlers that would go on sale right at six o'clock and you could collect them or do whatever you want with them, and all this stuff. And then literally like the week we were going to start brewing, we shut down. So it's literally just been sitting there, uh, but these tanks would give us the opportunity to, end to, this four pack was going to be a six pack. Okay. But then I, but then it just became, it just became too much in terms of like, First of all, it became too much like Peche Day in some ways. And second of all, it was just kind of like I think I think starting with a four pack of the things that we know are good and gonna work and 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 be comfortable with. So we decided against the six pack, but we've also got steadfast porter, could have been part of the six pack, but we just decided to run with the four pack. It's you know, we're playing it safe, unfortunately, these days. So there you go.
0: I respect it, man. There's a lot more. uh,
3: Understandable.
0: Yeah, right now than just, you know, putting this out. The fact that you even still were able to do it for St. Patrick's Day, which is, when is that? The 17th, isn't it, usually? Or is it just next weekend?
1: How fast did that winter go by?
0: Fuck, it's beautiful because winter sucks all the ball sacks, and this is glorious because no one went fucking anywhere. It's awesome. Yeah, and uh, all of yeah. a sudden like today like I was saying I had the door open like because it was just so hot and the heater won't turn off in this place so I'm like hot as shit it's glorious I love it I feel like because uh, mm. we were talking about the other day it feels like because of the lack of cars on the road and the lack of planes in the sky we're getting for the first time I've been in Canada just about 10 and a half years and this is the first time that the seasons have matched what what's the solstices. you know like Winter didn't it's the running. first time I've
1: seen it in a long time. You too. You guys too. Hey, eh? that's what Tiff was mm. saying. Okay. I noticed it this year, more than any other year. I'm like, this is what it's supposed to be it's like in March. Be.
0: Yes. And even like the fall, I actually take it back to the fall. We got fall weather when fall was supposed to come and fall didn't last three weeks. It lasted the almost full three months. You know, that's right. Like a slow grind with the leaves and like you could actually wear your fall jacket for more than two weeks and kind of look fly and stuff that's right. and after you've had the summer of wearing shorts you actually oh, you have to wear hoodies and, and pants and your boots and your, you know whatever even though there wasn't anywhere to go but if you felt like going for a walk you felt nice about yourself and then now the winter seems to have <laughs> you know at least here in montreal you guys actually it's funny enough we get similar weather out in montreal basically the same thing As that's right want, Whereas Toronto, those fucking softies I always, my brothers always tell me, like, hey, it's 10 degrees. I'm going for a BMX ride today. And it's fucking minus 12 here. Oh, yeah. There's
1: yeah. snowbanks up to your head and yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. everywhere,
0: right? Where I feel like we're, we're starting to get that. So I guess it's a pleasant side effect of all of this craziness that's happening in the world. You know, it's a nice side effect. And I've always
1: found March and April to be frustrating. Mm. And especially April. Yeah. Cause you, you know, like two years ago, and I know this because we, we, anyways, it's such a long story. It's not worth getting into, but we, we were finally going to be able to open a patio at tooth and nail. And I mean, I swear to God that winter went to like May 15th, you know, and you're just, you're just like, and then yeah. it was just rain for a month. Yep. And we're just like, yes. what's going on here? Like, this isn't even, this isn't even right. Like this isn't, this is way out of whack, but this year I feel like, you know what? You should have a couple of 10 degree days in March. And then it should dip down to zero and you get a little bit of snow here and there. But like things are warming up normally. And I think that April is going to be great, which we all deserve more than this this this, three months of Like we just we just need to start getting outside and yeah. yeah. Getting our minds. I've been fortunate enough to ski every weekend this winter. So like my mental health is good for that. But like oh yeah, it's been great. But um, yeah, we all need to get outside. Yeah, they're in lessons now and learning for the first time. That's cool. It's exciting. Yeah, very the, cool.
0: I wish I liked Windows. Yeah,
1: we needed it. We needed it. We were, you know, like
2: <laughs>
1: like anybody. You know, like it's you been a hard something. year, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna cry about you know how hard my year was because everyone's had a hard year, and in different ways we've been affected in different ways. But like, it became very important to to try to stay sane a little bit and. I knew right from the get-go that being outside in the, the shittiest of winter months is the only way to somehow stay sane. So, yeah, that was good. Good winter.
0: I respect that. I
1: like Onward, like,
0: yeah, man. It's the only way, and it makes me very happy that the, the, the breweries. I haven't. I was telling someone the other day. I couldn't think of a single one that went under. I know it hasn't been easy, but I feel like it's it's forced every single human being, regardless of your industry, particularly in beer, to be creative. And to feel how to make it work.
1: And some people are in better positions than others going in, too, right? Like, like if you look at Bellwoods, like, how perfect, like, they had the LCBO releases timed before the pandemic hit. But how perfect was it that that timed up so, so great for them, right? And then all of a sudden, they already had a pretty good online presence. for sure but i mean they're producing they're able to produce quite a bit of beer so like they're definitely you know some some people were in positions that were better than others um for us i think the biggest challenge was was like our whole business was built around the people coming into our place and to i've talked to a lot of brew pub owners who feel the same way and then to just up and you know excuse the term pivot and just decide you're going to reinvent your business when. In a month from now, you don't know. You may be just open again normally, and you now invested these $50,000 into changing how your business works and stuff. is very challenging to constantly be trying to change something when you don't know what's coming at you. And you know, I have employees that were laid off three different times in the last year, right? So it's like, yeah, it's... Uh, that that worked against us for sure but uh, at the same time we're pretty grateful that we were able to sell beer through the lockdown it's pretty grateful that we can you know still pay rent and keep the place going and make beer and all this stuff because it hasn't been so lucky for some other people
0: no no you gotta be you gotta acknowledge that too which is uh you know, super fortunate and i i was never sure that because uh, i thought well so many people are going to be You know, having, you know, maybe temporarily lost their jobs and their income and I thought, ah, many people aren't going to buy beer as much. But it feels like it's one of the few industries that has kicked on where I feel like people ramped up their beer budget because they had less than other things to spend it on.
2: People definitely
1: still bought beer for sure. The winter was hard. The winter was hard and I I haven't talked to a brewer who really did not see it just drop off a cliff. Except, you know, I, don't, I haven't talked to Dominion at all, but those guys put on a clinic on how to run a brewery during a pandemic. Like it's so absolutely incredible to see what they have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And they were, you know, in the position where they could do that. Um, you know, I think Noah can probably attest to, like, how things get complicated when you've got two very little kids at home who are now not in school and you're running a business with your wife yeah. who now has to be at home with the kids on a computer all day. Right. So it's like everybody's situation is different. And uh, I was just so happy to see those guys take the opportunities where they could, because they just, they just, you know, took it and ran with it was amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. it was very good cool. on. Them. Yeah. The, uh, the boys yeah. at two, uh, not, well, I think two, the boys at third moon were telling me that, uh, they were like, fuck man. Like, like everyone told us, cause this is the, they opened same day as Sanki and Baron. um, I believe it was May. Oh, no way. I didn't know that. Yeah, both of them opened the exact same day. So they're kind of like you know, little twins. And, um, but like, I'm not sure about Jacob. I talked to him pretty regularly, but uh, he hasn't, I haven't asked him. But Steve and Chris at uh, Third Moon were saying that, like, no, everyone said it's about to be a shit show in January, February. Not, not, it goes, we can't even think straight. Everything is bonkers. So I think. Everybody had their different sort of situations. I think for them, sure. doing the type of beers that they're doing, that's got the interest. You know, well, I mean, they're
1: the they're the ultimate hype brewery at the moment, right? So, like, yeah. if, you, if you end up in that position where you can ride that, like, ride it, man. You know, You're like, is amazing. Yeah, I'm very grateful for anybody who was able to, you know, overcome this thing without without significant, you know, um, hardships for sure. Yeah. I mean, we aren't necessarily like we did fine. I don't think we excelled in sales by any means. We did fine. And I'm grateful enough for that. But the people who were able to take that thing and run with it, like, good on them, man. You know? Definitely fewer and further between. But yeah. Sure, um, sure.
0: Did you want to grab the last one and then we can wrap her up?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I definitely um, want to have the last one. I've been waiting. Yeah. Like, You've been waiting for me. So. <laughs> hey, man. I know it's
0: only been three hours. Uh, we need to catch up to cool. Noah. I'm going to go grab it. Um, do you want to start talking about it? And maybe Noah, you can give some of your thoughts because I know we didn't touch on your thoughts on this when you've been drinking it the last fucking hour. Um, How was it?
3: Yeah, for sure. It's good. It's still drinking good. The coffee is pretty much completely gone. But uh, okay. I do find sometimes that when it's interesting that you were mentioning that you find the barrel falls off, but sometimes I find it all, it also age can like amp up the barrel or at least like amp up the doughy kind of vanilla thing that you can get from a bourbon barrel. So it's definitely like like, doughy. I
1: definitely get that.
3: Yeah. Um, It's, it's really, it's quite bourbon focused, very little coffee, um, but it's aged uh, quite, quite nicely.
1: Yeah, I've often found the coffee is the first thing to go, and if ever we were to do variants on this, I would I would do a, a cold steep of coffee after it came out of the barrel to try and get that back. Yeah, because be even when it's first released, I can get the coffee, but it's it's so much more subtle than it is before it goes in the in the barrel. Um,
3: and again, I, I don't know anything something... about brewing, but um, I I've been noticing more and more recently that um th- the way that people process the coffee or sorry i guess infuse the coffee into the beer can just make such a big difference whether you're doing cold or 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 not um and and then obviously like the huge range of types of coffee uh, it, it can completely transform a beer like i've had a few from third um not third moon, but um baron and i feel like they're doing some really interesting stuff with coffee like it's really coming out with these insane chocolatey notes that uh, you don't normally get Um, yeah yeah.
1: definitely the coffee itself i mean um it was actually uh i'll wait till see gets his headphones on there but it was actually kyle from happy Go coffee who used to work there him and i Chose the coffee for this based on the flavors of the coffee and the flavors of the beer. So I only use the same coffee every year for. Was it Happy Goat? And it's a very, it is Happy Goat. Yeah. Do you know he doesn't very work robust there? Robust chocolatey coffee. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah. I you haven't seen deal? him in years.
0: He's at um, Arlington Five now. Oh, is he? I went and saw him okay. last year. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing good there. He's like the coffee manager. Usually. Yeah, good. He's killing the game. It's good
1: yeah yeah such a great guy man he was he was good to us for sure yeah, I think, yeah and um but we selected the coffee together based on what we thought needed to get into this beer but yeah you change that coffee the beer is going to change immensely right. and if you use shitty generic coffee it's not going to be a good beer
0: no it has to be this uh what was the coffee that you did use from uh from happy goat oh know?
1: this is um yeah it's uh, a berry from um Oh, God, I've got it in my phone somewhere. It's okay.
3: It's going to run to the bathroom.
0: Wash your hands, eh? Wash your That's hands. you
3: very animal. quickly here.
0: No, you're right. Yeah, seriously, okay? Oh. Eh? This fucking smells amazing, dude. Oof.
1: What do we use here? This is uh, Brazilian.
0: Brazilian, okay. Yeah, Brazilian
1: Peaberry, that
0: so he's, I'm, I'm not surprised. Like, that makes me extra, extra. I'm going to hit him up. I haven't spoken to him for a little while, um, but uh, he got the photo. There we go. Yeah. He had this like um, knack for really understanding um, tasting notes of coffee. Uh, we went and man, saw him. Passionate. Oh yeah, man. So he left Happy Go. He told me there's a bit of like a thing there, but he's at.
1: All. I never asked.
3: Yeah. yeah
0: I'll, I'll tell you later. Um, I, from yeah. what I can recall, whatever, some sort of drama you know how it goes. but he's at Arlington Five when we saw him, he was kind of like the coffee manager and he was there and he made some sort of he kind of went off in the corner I was like yeah, because I hadn't seen him, we used to rap together by the way that's how I know him, so not in the same group, we performed a bunch together and stuff and we just knew each other through mutual friends and stuff, but he, um, he went off in the corner and made this crazy coffee with some like siphon thing and it was like this beautiful like pour over type thing, it was wow And I, funnily enough, I traded him our Glitter Beer collab that we did with Echo. So it must have been about this time (laughs) last year. Um, And he gave me a, a, a pack of his collaborative beans with Rabbit Hole out here in Montreal. And if I, I do a shit you not, it was to this day the best coffee I've ever had in my entire life. And I feel oh, I, just, I don't doubt it. It was just fuck man. I don't know what they do. It was just beautiful. It was just like and I was using just the V sixty four over, nothing, you know, crazy. And yeah. I'm trying to learn how to do it better I really take coffee seriously. But it was just glorious. It was the most flavorful coffee I've ever had. Um, oh yeah. So like that dude to know that Carl had something to do with this is is wonderful. That's beautiful. I yeah, that. yeah.
1: But you know, I called him up and I was just like, "Look, this is what I'm doing. These are the flavors. This is what I'm looking for." And exactly. we tasted a couple, and he was just like, "This is this is what you should go for." And and you know, like I'm I'm not the most inquisitive person, and I don't really go around trying to like find something better if I think it's what I'm looking for. I'm not, you know. I'm always trying to make a better beer, but I'm not going to go out and try and find the coffee. That's just a little bit better than this one. This one works and it makes the beer taste the way I want it to. So I stick with it. So it's perfect.
0: I love it. Ed. Wow. So Noah, did you, did you see what year you have there, bro? Uh,
3: I believe it's probably two years old. So probably the 2019,
0: 19, okay. I guess. Um, and the, what and would we, be the difference between yeah, the 20? Or maybe well, not. Well, this is twenty twenty, so you might have twenty eighteen.
3: Oh yeah, then that would be yeah.
1: So then that Maddie, would probably be correct.
0: So same same coffee though, right?
1: Never used a different coffee. Never no, been, okay. uh, the beer has actually been brewed the same way every time. Okay, so the bourbon barrels uh, we've had a couple, but we've had Heaven Hill for a while. I think the real thing that is important to me on this beer, which it may not be the way that a lot most people will age their beer in a bourbon barrel for a year okay, or more. And for us actually, um, I, I, from the first batch just in tasting it as much as I could, like I really liked a very, very short contact time, like a four month contact time. Okay. Because I think that the thing that I was not enjoying about some of the bourbon barrel beers I had was I had a glass of bourbon with a bit of beer flavor. But what I really wanted was a beer where the bourbon was an additional ingredient to steer that beer into a direction that would evolve it and and make it, uh, you know, ultimately like super pleasurable because those, those ingredients, those flavors will work together. Um, I've definitely had some, years aged in bourbon barrels for one to two years that were absolutely out of this world. But for this one, I think the secret is really short contact time. So it's only in the bourbon barrel for four months, okay. which, you know, most people really wouldn't think you would extract much out of it. But I can tell you that the alcohol percentage increases by about 2% in four months. So clearly there's quite a bit of work happening
0: during that time. This is exceptional. Um, My God, you cannot taste this. I 6. I'm going to be fucking... And that's that's
1: 11.6. <laughs> that's lab tested. It's
0: lab like I don't.
1: I send all I of know my I said 11. Beers <laughs> six. Yeah. I was like
0: 11.6, <laughs> and you laughed,
1: but you but didn't we, correct me. Okay, so it's real. No, it's 11.6. I don't. uh, I don't like. I don't pretend to predict what a barrel can give to a beer. They're all over the place. Sometimes you get a one percent increase. Sometimes a three percent increase. Sometimes your beer right. dries out. Like so, anything in a barrel, I get lab tested. So it is 11.6 percent.
3: Yeah, because this one is 10.5. That's right.
1: That's right. So the beer that went into this one, we brewed two fortifieds that year. The first one was four barrels. And we had a problem on the brew house where we were not getting enough extract out of the malt. Okay. And so I added some dextrose to that to get the gravity up, to get the alcohol we wanted. Well, what dextrose does is it, it dries the beer out further. So we actually ended up with more alcohol than we set out to do. So it probably went into the barrel at about 10.2, 10.3%. And so then you get up to 11.6, whereas the beer you would have had, Noah would have gone in at nine and a half percent right? and then, you know, add another percentage and all the barrels, the barrels are crazy, man. Like every barrel is a different beast and, you know, we have been lucky enough that we've used at least 90% of the barrels for this beer that were filled, but it's very easy. Like we blend the beers to taste and then decide what barrels are going to be used. Like last year we, you know, I don't know, out of 800 or a thousand liters, like we left 200 liters out cause it just, it didn't make the cut. Mm. Um, and then a little bit of another barrel. Right. So it's not just a matter of fill six barrels, put six barrels in. You know, you you evaluate them after, but the difference from barrel to barrel is unbelievable. It's crazy.
3: I it's like that. Do you still have uh, for those listening? Do you still have these four packs available?
1: We do. Yeah, um, we've probably sold about half of them. So it'd be nice to. I need to know, order myself one and get it
3: sent to uh, Bernie's place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these watch, are this yeah. batch.
0: <laughs> so we were going to. Do, do you still a- have
3: my email address? Yeah,
0: I I stopped looking
1: at Facebook like years ago, so I don't know what's on there. But
0: Yeah, we were going to – Nate's going to do a nice little write-up on this for the BOS blog, and I was going to do a – we have a new video called Beer Drop, so because I have the second pack, I was going to drink one of them and talk about the pack because I know it's specifically for us and Paddy's Day, right? Which is whatever the fuck. Yeah. So this is for the people who want to get trashed like a good Irish person, you know? Um,
2: yeah, in the best at possible way
0: at home,
1: comfortably <laughs> at, home, at home by <laughs> yourself on your computer. Yeah. it doesn't <laughs> any better. Yeah.
0: It's been a year of it, bro. Can I ask again, Matt? Sorry oh, yeah. to ask this again. What was the coffee that was in this?
1: Uh, it's a Brazilian peaberry coffee,
0: Brazilian. Um, the actual
1: peaberry. uh variety is uh, Vereda V E R E D A. V-E-R-E-D-A, yeah.
0: Look at me, I can spell. All right, beautiful. Now, this is like, it's really interesting. I've never really done this before. It had four different sort of stouts from the same series with essentially a 2% jump each time. It's genuinely... I mean, you've
1: just had the entire progression of, mm. of you know, the yeah. basically you're, taste, you're tasting the thought process.
0: It's genuinely fascinating, and it's like not surprising by any means the level of just insane and i'm not to say this i always feel like i kind of have to preface it with like hey i'm looking the person in the eye who's making beer. be i'm trying to tell them this shit is fire we don't have shit breweries on this podcast so like this is just fucking insane yeah, you do. like regularly but when i go- <laughs> amazing wow noah co-hosts all the I'm ones kidding. noah's co-hosting
3: <laughs> i only co-host the good ones
0: that's true. That's true. I really know it? If I'm not, <laughs> but like just watching this progression, man, this is really cool. Like to see because I feel like I kind of feel like since we did the first one, I I haven't delved deep enough in what you do and 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 gotten into it. I've been very fortunate to get a few things here and there. Nate's always hooked mm-hmm. me up with stuff. Noah was blessed to shout uh, to share with me that Fortis system mode, but I do not remember it because I was fucked.
1: Um, we just call it Triple F where I come the from. The Triple F, it's that'd easier. be a lot easier. Thank you. The Triple F, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, it's just been really nice to see this. Obviously, you know, we knew that the pills and the, and the Saison are going to be fire. And, you know, even from a Saison non-fan like me, I genuinely appreciated it. No bullshit. i tell you if it wasn't for me, but I really enjoyed that. And just seeing this, like, transition, it's just really cool. And this is just on some other shit. This is, like, very dangerous. It does not taste what it should it's impeccably smooth. I mean, I can imagine this would be beautiful even in, in, in a couple of years with it. You know, even in a can. I know it's not quite the, the bottle that Noah had and stuff. And you usually think of imperial stouts at this level in a, in a bottle, but you know, to stash these, I actually might stash that other can and keep it for a little bit and see how how she goes.
1: Yeah, do so. I mean, you should know it's already a year old because I guess um, it was 2020. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just repackaged what was in stainless that uh glorious
0: man so yeah impressed.
1: it's uh it's interesting and i don't know if it's because you guys are from quebec but like quebec people love this beer and i <laughs> guess there is um a beer forum you're probably both familiar with it but i'm I'm not where there's um some guys who will go around to breweries and buy like you know a whole shitload of one beer and then disperse it out amongst all their buddies throughout the province but like yeah, there's a bunch. The, of the year like we that. did, the year we did Triple F, so it's Stout Extravaganza Day. It's like St. Patrick's Day on a Saturday in my brew pub, and we had a problem with the bottle bottle filler the day before, and it's a Saturday, which means no brewers are working, and they're coming to the Stout Extravaganza to you know drink a whole bunch of high octane stouts. And I had already announced all the beers that were coming out, but some of them weren't bottled yet. Mm. So I'm sitting there and I'm I'm on a bottling machine that's not working. So of two heads, one of the heads is working. So I'm filling one bottle at a time and I'm, I'm starting at like nine in the morning and then I see people coming in and the bar is just jam-packed. And we're selling Fortissimo and a little bit of Triple F out the front. And then one of these guys comes from Quebec and he wants 80 bottles of each. (laughs) And I am literally bottling them, passing them to the retail person one by one going like 66, 67, 68, 69. And like, were you at least thinking like, ka-ching,
0: ka-ching, (laughs)
2: ka-ching?
1: Well, at that point, I'd probably had two or three of them. So I was, yeah, I was, was, anyways, (laughs) it was far out there. But it was one of those scenarios where you're literally like packaging for the person who's in the bar buying it. Like, it was outrageous. So yeah, anyways, and then then that beer spread across Quebec and there was just all these great reviews and stuff. So it was was pretty awesome for us. That's great. uh, You know, like all those things that happen, I mean, there's, you hope that those kinds of things happen, obviously, but there's a lot of luck involved in some of that stuff. And you never, you never know what beer it is that people are just going to go, that's the one, Right. And for Tissimo, I mean, there's so many bourbon barrel aged stouts out there at the time. I was like, I know this tastes great, but are, are people going to be able to differentiate that from this bourbon barrel aged and this bourbon barrel aged and et cetera, et cetera. Because after a while, everything can start to taste the same. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was super, super cool. Very, very fun. I love it. It makes me
0: happy. I mean,
3: at the time when you first dropped Fortissimo, um, and I guess that could even, like, you can even say that for today, but, like, I think kind of what we were talking about before, where every, every whenever there's something that is trendy, everyone wants to jump on that. And sometimes they don't put the thought and effort into making it great. Um, and I think, you know, people go completely bonkers for Pesce Bourbon, even to this day. But Pesce Bourbon is, is iconic and classic. But of course, four or five years ago, um, there was just very, there was a lot of people like experimenting with bourbon barrel stouts, but they just weren't doing exceptional jobs with it. Mm-hmm. Whereas in when you put this out, it was comparable to Pesce Bourbon. Um, and so I think all it takes is like one or two people to be like, yo, this is fucking great. And then you end up in that situation where that guy drives up and buys 80 of them because it's it's completely worth it. Um, so mm-hmm. you, it's like you, got, you caught the ear of the geeks and they're like, oh, this is good. Go get it kind of thing.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. I still remember that day too because I brought up that last bottle of his order. And we were out of the triple F until I could bottle a little bit more. And I literally like was like, no, 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 I'm helping you with this to your truck. <laughs> like, like <laughs> please allow me to like, yeah.
3: you know, it was, it was, well, it and was you, those are deal. pricey bottles too. So that must have been quite the bill.
1: Well, and that was the one that we had, you know, the full neck um, exactly uh, label and and the uh, the wax seal and everything. Yeah, they were 16 bucks a bottle or something. Like that, so like cheap. Yeah. No, it was a, yeah. Yeah, I mean for 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 a pint of beer it's low money, but oh for uh, five hundred mil in comparison. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh okay. and then back to then. Too. People, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. true, that's true. But even for five hundred mil now, sorry, I th- I was assuming it was a seven fifty, but that makes sense.
1: But yeah, the bourbon yeah. the, the barrel aged stuff is just expensive. I mean the con we buy a five hundred sure. liter cognac puncheon for truce and i mean delivered to my door it's like 1250 bucks for the barrel so when you're paying that much money for you know a barrel aged beer it's like that 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 vessel costs you a lot of money and yes you can reuse it for other projects but you can't really reuse it for that particular product right because you've just now sucked all the flavor out of it hopefully you can get something good and some bacteria growing in there and get a sour beer out of it at some point or maybe a smaller beer, like an English old ale or something and extract a little, a little more. um, Yeah. Barrels are a bitch.
3: I think people, I think what, what I realized right away when I tried your, 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 I guess you'd almost call them like double barrel bottles or whatever. um, Is that they're, they're worth every penny. Right, and and I think that's where the challenges come in, where you have other breweries who put out barrel-aged beers that just don't that just don't hit the mark, Um, and maybe they're a bit cheaper, but when anything I've had from from what you've produced uh, was was pretty like was was worth every penny, like they're they're quite something. uh, Every every time I try them.
1: Yeah, we try to offer the best value we can for our beer, too. I mean, I, you know, I, it's probably not a conversation, maybe a conversation for another podcast. But um, right. I have no problem spending a good amount of money on beer. But when I spend a good amount of money on beer that is mediocre, I get pissed off. And so for yep. us, you know, we've we've been, I, I, I'm going to hesitate to say criticized, but we've certainly, people have commented that our beer, we could we could charge more for it. And, um, I mean, maybe we could, um, I, I just, I I hate the idea of beer and what I believe beer to be and everything about what beer means to me to become an unattainable thing for people to buy. And I know what money we make off our beer and I know that our business is, is strong and I know all these different things. And some people suffer from, not suffer from, but have to use mobile canning lines and that puts a great deal of Um, added cost onto the beer and you just see beer prices keep driving up and up and up. And I think that the beer is worth it, but I don't ever want it to become in a place where it's, it's inaccessible to people. That's to me, that's the antithesis of why we have beer. Um, So we, we try to do our best to offer our beers at, at the lowest price that we feel comfortable with. Um, but we also need to re- remain competitive and, and, uh, and all of that stuff. So I, I think it's reasonably priced. Um, I don't, I don't have any issues with, with that. Um, mm-hmm. it's funny that other people are like, oh, you charge way more. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think a yeah, $28 six pack of, of 12 ounce shorties for, you know, a, a Pilsner is really, I don't think that's good value. You know, and I'm using those yeah. numbers to exaggerate the numbers because that's not the case. But um, I still really think that beer should be of good value. I think you can produce a world-class product and still like you go and buy the world class products and they're way cheaper than the craft beers you buy, you know, from local producers. Now we have very different economies of scale and there are reasons for that. Yeah. But when I can buy a seven hundred and fifty milliliter bottle of Saison DuPont for like six ninety-five. And then the 500 milliliter bottle from uh, some local brewery that's not local, but just like a Canadian brewery that is a pretty mediocre Saison. It's 1250. I think, I think we've, we've created a problem. Mm. Yes, you know, definitely. Um, I, I don't, I don't believe people are getting what they're paying for in those circumstances. Now, if you've got exceptional products and you want to charge as much as you want out of those, because they're rare and exceptional Amazing, and and we do need to take part of the beer industry and hold it as high as it, it deserves. But I don't know. There's some pricing on beers that I just I shake my head at, going like, for what? What like what am I paying for? Yeah. You know? Beer definitely has become a whole
0: beast unto itself as far as the pricing. And yeah, it probably should be questioned. I know a lot of it. Like whenever I go to back to Australia, fucking hell, it's a whole other beast out there. I was. I bet. That that's like I know it's Australia. I know I was drinking imports, but I think for like a, a half pint, it was like nineteen dollars. Nineteen dollars. What? I'm not joking. And dudes <sighs> were shouting me because I'm out there seeing my friends. I haven't seen them. I usually see them once a year or so. So I go out there, and I'm the one that everyone wants to see. So everyone wants to buy me a beer. So I go to my like. I found a few favorite places and some people I know already out there. So I try and connect them and stuff, and. I go out there and if they had some import, there's one bar specifically. They have some shit that we do not fucking have here. It's like San Diego. Like Matt, you would know like bottlecraft. It's like bottlecraft out mm-hmm. there where they have a bottle shop and then in the back is a beer bar, but the most fire beer bar. Like my favorite beer bar right now, today in Melbourne, have Cantillon on, on tap, probably charging twenty, twenty five dollars for hundred and fifty mil pour is what my friend said. so like the shit is like crazy expensive so i know that's like a context and over here things are pretty crazy you know with the the hype breweries we get used to it from the hype so you're going to pay 25 to 35 dollars maybe for a
1: well the hop loads some of these people are using are definitely insanely expensive right like you're talking yeah Yeah. like those hop charges are insane i don't
0: i I guess what i'm trying to. i don't don't think i can understand that I don't no. think we're being, no, no. I don't think they're bleeding us for that money. I don't think Masora or Bruce Gey or Sir John are the ones who are doing that type of stuff. I don't think they're fucking anybody and trying to overcharge.
1: And, and I'm probably not referring to those particular, uh, like if I see some of those beers and, and I have a very good idea of like the what hop they put into, right? and stuff, like I can, I can understand it. It's, it's not a cheap time for hops and, and exactly. the, 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 the charges we're using are insane. Right. So um those are probably not the beers i'm referring to and okay. when you get into you know whole the vanilla beans and chocolate and things like there are definitely yeah. some beers that where the ingredients going in are just so 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 pricey yeah man. but you know i see some some beers that i look at work i have a pretty good idea of what it would cost to make that beer and i'm like wow you're charging like 450 for a little can of a golden ale or you know i'm, I'm always going to use the exaggerations because i don't want to throw anything under the bus. boss like
2: but right, right, right,
1: there's definitely some some stuff where i just don't believe i just don't believe the value is there for what you're doing.
0: well that's a good point i was only bringing those guys up because they're the ones that i hear people complain about but also that's not really that um, fair to complain about that because of the value of yeah. it. whether it's their stouts or their, uh, their ipas sure. the hops or the adjuncts but I think, I guess at the same token, I'm also trying to say that those types of um, beers have gotten people used to paying a little more for beer. So it's almost just like people are, because of that, the, the maybe I'm just talking about the beer nerd crowd, they're not the average person, but I feel like the beer nerds are just like, oh, well, that's what things cost. Do I want it? Yeah. Then Whatever they're asking, they're going to pay for. It. They're not really going to complain. Whereas, I think the more casual beer fan might be more questioning as to like, oh, it's a short canyon patch. I think four fifty for this, like, why? It's ridiculous. Like, I've had people message BOS because BOS is very. Um, uh, we're trying to be to make beer very accessible to everybody. That was our whole point. So I've had I have a lot of different people who just message me the beers that they're drinking they just send me beers i'm sure they do it to all of us and i think it's super dope because uh, it's just a cool community and they just want to share what they're drinking i'm like i love it so dudes sometimes would send me a bellwoods beer like oh my god i paid 450 for jutsu i've never paid that for a beer in my life that's ridiculous but yo this was this was fun I'm like, yeah okay interesting cool man i'm glad you tried it like so i think there's like a variety there's like that mentality of the person who thinks 450 for a tall can is obscene. But then there's others who would spend thirty five dollars on the double IPA, six different hops. For sure. Triple dry hop. Sure, and sure, They'd be cool with that as well. So it's like the whole, like you know, that, you know, the whole uh, scale of, of different types of people who perceive the value of, of beer. And it's, uh, I guess, it really depends. I feel like you guys are kind of like maybe in the middle, in the sense of you I would carrying, say, yeah, would you say that too? I wouldn't say you're, yeah, I, yeah. I, but like you could bring i could bring you know, back when you could bring people to be rooms. I would i could bring my uh non beer nerd friends and they would have a good time because there's a bunch of different good stuff to try but then me and Noah could go there and have a great night because we'd drink Vim and vinegar and then this shit like this crazy Imperial Stouts, and we have a fucking we'd lose our minds but
1: and i mean that's the that's that's the point that's of where you're what at, we're right? doing got yeah. both, and and best of both worlds everybody's got different things going on for sure yeah um, I also think that you know, and and this is this is probably too much of a blanket statement, but when you get a number of uh, very popular breweries that are charging an insane amount of money for products because they're using an insane amount of of if you if you have a small brewing system and you're making you know, a New England double IPA that's got three dry hops and whatever, and, and these dry hops are tens you know, you're, you're taking a 1,000 liters of beer and you're probably releasing 650 liters of those thousands, then you have to, you know, account for that loss in, in hops and all this stuff as well. But those small volumes um, really perpetuate the hype because if you've undersized your brewery and you are selling out of your beer in a couple of hours... Then the people are like, I heard your beer is really good. I'm here to grab some. You're like, we don't have any more. Then they're like, I better fucking get on top of this next week when you do a new release. And then that perpetuates the hype because it's like hard to get because it's always sold out because the brewery is undersized. When you put a brewery together and it's oversized because you're trying to do projections, that works completely against you in that whole realm. Because now you have so much beer, but it's like, it's not hard to get because you made enough of it to last a couple of weeks, right? So it's just a very, very interesting paradigm that happens between those two kind of things. And if you're sitting on a bunch of beer that can last you two or three weeks because you size your brewery, so that you had stuff around, you can't charge too much extra for that because then it's just going to sit around longer. right? So, you know, it's just a very interesting thing like if i went back and designed the brewery again i wouldn't do a single thing different because this is our business model and a lot of people stop to forget that a brewery is a business you can you can produce whatever you want you can be as creative as you as you want but the brewery itself is a business that has to function or you won't be there anymore and so there are all kinds of decisions that go into that that the average craft beer drinker would never even stop to wonder because it's not they don't care. It's not their business. They just want a good beer. Right. So it's a very interesting exactly. space to be a brewer that runs a business who has no business background. Cause it's a pretty quick crash course. Um, and, uh, yeah, a lot of these guys have put together some pretty genius business models. I mean, ours works for us in the way that we want it to. Um, but I see some of these, these breweries out there and I'm just like, Fuck man, amazing, good for you. Like,
3: pretty cool. And I think sometimes it's it's even somewhat accidental like I don't Some know just it, to yes, talk about third sure. moon for a, for a second like Bebo and Chris are smart. Um so I I'm, I'm sure they weren't going into this blind, but at the same time from their persp- I think they just they're like this is what we love, so this is what we want to make. And then it just so happens that what they love and want to make is what people are going they're crazy right for. Now. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, for sure. So, like, they managed to create this. And, the, you know, in the way that, like, you know, we asked them a few times, like, oh, were you expecting this type of pipe? And, and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, no, not at all. Like, obviously, they're not ignorant to the, the, the fact that, like, these are the styles that people are kind of going crazy for. But, like, this is just what they love. And they also, like, Bebo especially has, like, years and years and years of experience as a home brewer and, like, has drank a million different styles. And, like, he even just, like, told a story about how he went to England and, like, drank in an almost entire cask of ESB because it was, like, the greatest experience he'd ever had. You know what I mean? Like, but at the end of the day, like, he, what he was most interested in is... is drinking these types of IPAs like, like it was almost as like it just that's what he ended up falling for kind of thing but like it just so happens that that becomes the thing that he loved but it, I think that also comes with a huge challenge as they were explaining too in the sense of like they probably they're wish brewing they beers that cost so much money to make and like like their margins aren't, aren't are, are pretty, uh, like he, he, they're not driving beamers, you know what I mean? Like they're, they're, just, right. they're hustling to yeah. get it done, but like they're not making a ton of money off this, sure. you know? And then they have sure. to like deal with the scrutiny of like, Oh, you're charging me $7 for a can of fucking beer. Um, they're like, well, that's, mm-hmm. that much to fucking cost because that's how I'm much it costs doing like, this. Like he was even talking about like getting, um, hops off the secondary market, like, uh, because he wanted to try this particular type of incognito or whatever. So he bought it, like, off yeah. the, the secondary market at a higher cost, just to, just so he could use it because he he was interested in it, like that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Which all it's that's interesting just, like, you insane, bring up about you know?
1: him drinking the cask of ES beer, wanting to, and whatever. And it's it's funny yeah. because it's easy for us to pigeonhole brewers into what they like. And yeah. I mean, see, you'd, you'd get this it's the same with musicians, right? It's like, you know, like, uh, C's a rapper, right? So he, he only listens to rap, right? Which is, I'm sure total bullshit. And it's like, I, I continue to go through like all these different, like I'm very inspired by musicians and the way that they've had their own careers. And those who have had long careers with maybe not a billion, you know, fans and, To find out the stuff they listen to, you're just like, oh, wow, really? Like You listen to Joni Mitchell? That's so crazy because you don't play any music that sounds like Joni Mitchell, and it doesn't come across that there's any Joni Mitchell influence anywhere. And it's like, I still like. like... There are a couple of beer styles that I could kick to the curb, but I still like to drink them all, right? But I'm not going to produce all of those ones. I'm going to produce the ones that I think I'm good at. I'm going to produce the ones that... I want to drink every day. I'm going to produce this and that. So like, you know, you never really want to like, that's why when, when the whole thing about like, Oh, go to tooth and nail for classic styles, you might be able to, but I hate being pigeonholed into that thing because it's like, that's, that's not everything to me. You know what I mean? And I like drinking hazy IPAs. I mean, I haven't had many like pastry stouts and stuff like that. To me, it's like the sugar in it. It's just not something that agrees with me. I just can't do that. But, um, i like, I'm a, I, I'm a beer nut. And, um, you know, most people who decide to brew for a living are beer nuts. So to put them under one umbrella of like, Oh, you only produce hazy IPAs, uh, because you know, this and that, like that guy still loves an old beer. He still loves a Pilsner. He still loves, you know, exactly. uh, probably Sierra Nevada pale ale because I don't know a brewer that doesn't love it, but you know, you get what I'm saying. It's like, it's, it's easy just to, like, assume you know what someone's kind of outlook is. But really, when you get to know them, it's not like that.
0: It's a really
1: good
2: point.
0: Yeah, it's a great, yeah. great parallel with music. So i got a couple of guitars hanging up on the walls into a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, you're right. I, I totally see that. And it is super unfair, but I it's guess it's sort of what the public sees. They see, like... Well, tooth and nail does. They see it. what you present them. Exactly, and they don't understand yeah. that yeah. the person who makes the beer can appreciate everything. Like, yeah, I, I feel appreciating like
1: everything is what actually makes you make the things you make the way that you make them.
0: Yeah, well said. Right, like
1: I have my own way of of brewing beer that's going to be different from yours or yours, but those influences come into that every day, whether or not I'm producing a beer like that. Those influences always make their way through. I love that. I think that's exactly. cool. No, it's yeah. a beautiful thing. It's. Uh, you know, I'm probably going to uh, have to wrap this up at this point. There no, I was hours. about to say it kind of felt because, like that's. Uh, uh,
0: yeah, it's 12, 12 It's 14, a good way to end it. Over. It's a perfect way to end it, actually. Um, we have to take the thumbnail, so let's do the thumbnail. I'm going to take a screenshot of what we're looking at. Do you want to hold up? Do you guys want to hold up some uh, cans or something? You know what I'm saying, going to let, let the mandem know. Okay. That's right. No one's really got it going.
1: <laughs> Should I do?
0: Da- oh, you did it! You did it, Make sure I caught it. Make sure I caught
1: it. Make sure I caught it. No, <laughs> wait. I didn't catch
0: it. I didn't catch it. I didn't catch it, Maddie. Hang on. All
1: right, all right.
0: Wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna make sure I do. I can't. I can't fuck Maddie over here because that would be a. Wow, well, in Australia, that would be called a. It's song. a hard
1: pose to hold.
0: It's a hard one. Okay, you ready? Oh, that is just glorious. Oh, it's like the craft beer angels I brought three Matt's screen scream
3: froze because he had it like so <laughs> down for so like
0: a lock a jaw um, guys thank you very much this has been awesome four years is it really has. too long between episodes Matt you're such a pleasure yeah. to have on dude I really respect you and everything you do uh, you guys are great to hang to with um, thank you again for your thank time thank you for the things you
1: guys do for our industry you know it's equally as important to have guys like you helping to, you know, prop us up as well. So thank you very much. Appreciate you, bro. You're
0: welcome. Um, you're yeah. a legend. Matt, where can everybody online? Bert, what the fuck do I say? Where can everyone find you online? It's I'm drinking lots of stouts. Where can everyone find Tooth and nail online.
1: Uh, Instagram, Facebook website website coming we have a website coming i swear to god it's you know our website is like yeah it's we are going to improve some stuff going forward here after the pandemic but uh yeah instagram is probably the one one place that will keep you abreast of what's going on which is at tooth and nail in, beer. in, in limited right. ways oh god i don't even know
0: it says it on the um, screen under your beautiful face man it says it right there <laughs> tiffany put it there just oh, that's you. it
1: look
3: that's at it. that
0: uh, I'm called Mr. Forrest. Where can everyone find you online?
3: Well, as you can see, it's at uh, beerism.ca <laughs> on um, Instagram and on Facebook. It's just Beerism and um, the website is beerism.ca be more That's perfect. where you can find me.
0: Uh, Guys, stick around. I'm just going to wrap this up. Stick around on the call and we'll say goodbye promptly. But uh, everybody, thank you so much for watching and listening. If you enjoyed the episode, smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new news drops. Follow us on social media at BAOS Podcast right here. And uh, check us out every Friday. We are here at 9 p.m. Eastern time uh, with a fantastic podcast with extraordinarily attractive individuals such as Matthew right here coming through to teach you about beer. Sometimes you don't need a beard. Matthew's like, fuck a beard. I don't need that. I'm going to make fire pills and that and just be attractive (laughs) and do my shit. That's what the fuck it is. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.